It's time for the Believer, Unbeliever, and In-Betweener podcast. Join in on the conversation as three friends discuss socially relevant topics in view of biblical truth, where scripture meets skepticism. Welcome your hosts, Stephanie, Michelle, and Cheryl. Okay, welcome back, everyone. This is episode three of our podcast, and our topic for discussion today is abortion, the truth makes a difference. And we're really excited today to have uh, two guests with us. Um, our first guest is Tiwana Amen. She's the executive director of Broward County Right to Life. She's the author of the book, Guard Your Heart. And she's also a biblical counselor at Calvary Chapel Church. Tiwana, would you like to say hello to everyone? Hi, everybody. It's great to be here. Thank you. And we also have Devin Millard with us. Devin is actually my hairdresser. And a few weeks ago when she was doing my hair, we got into a, a conversation about this particular episode on abortion. And, you know, Devin really had a lot of information, a lot of knowledge about this topic. And she is pro-choice. So she's going to be uh, speaking and representing the pro-choice voice on this episode. And so we invited her to be a part of this and we're really excited that she agreed to join us. So Devin, would you like to say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. All right. Okay, so um, we thought it would be, you know, a, a really great way to get started if each of us shared our personal testimonies and experiences with abortion. You know, ha have any of us on this call ever had to confront that decision for ourselves? If so, how did we navigate through that decision? Um, and, you know, this is, you know, us getting vulnerable and, and sharing some personal information. So, um, Michelle, would you kick us off and maybe share with us your personal experience with abortion? Sure. Um, yeah, I... Uh... I thank goodness uh, didn't have to make that decision. Um, I did come close though. Um, when I was at 18 years old, I had um, sex for the first time and I didn't have an ed education in sex. And I thought that, you know, if you have sex, you get pregnant. So I panicked and right away um, I went to an abortion clinic and got tested and um, if I was faced with that decision at that time, I would have I would have had the abortion because, to me, I didn't have God in my life. Um, I also just I did it. I would have done it out of fear. I was more afraid of my father finding out um, that I had sex. That uh, I would have. To me, it wasn't a life. To me, it was if if I got pregnant, I'd have to just abort it. Not not a, you know a big deal. And I tell you, for many years, I didn't think of it as a life. I, um, I was pro-choice for many years and, um, it wasn't until just recently where I, uh, that changed in me and now my, I'm, I'm definitely pro-life. So that, okay. that's my. Well, th thank you, Michelle, for sharing that. So it sounded like if you did find out that you were pregnant, the fear of your dad would have forced you to, uh, or, made you make that decision to have an abortion. That's kind of what it yeah, sounds like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause to me it was just a, it was just, 
it wasn't a human being in, in my mind. It was just something you do. And that's what I grew up with too. I, I remember middle school, all the kids, you know, that got pregnant, they just had abortions like it was nothing. I remember, you know, seeing fetuses in the bathroom. I mean, it's just, it, that's how disgusting that was. But anyway, yeah, it was, okay. it was like that. Well, thank you, Michelle. Uh, Cheryl, would you share your personal background and experience with abortion? Sure, guys. I am the unbeliever of the group. I am fiercely pro-choice um, and don't see that changing ever. I have been confronted with abortion twice in my life. And uh, when, I was, when I was 41 years old and madly in love with my boyfriend, who did not feel the same way. But uh, when I got pregnant, I was obviously at the last stage of my reproductive game. And uh, I, I do remember just being so thankful on my knees that if I decide whatever I decide to do with this, I have a choice. That's all that's my biggest memory of it. And that was about seven years ago. Um, all I could think was, I have, I have a, a, you know, a few days or a few weeks to think about this, but whatever I decide, I can choose. And I knew the panic I would have felt and the wanting to kill myself feeling that would have came on me if I did not have a choice. Now, uh, unfortunately, I did choose um, to keep the baby. And then of course, uh, a month or two later, I lost it anyway. Um, so that's the, that's the, that's the, uh, nervousness and, and, uh, the shaking in my voice that you hear mm. that I miscarried it anyway, but, um, I am still very strongly, uh, thankful that I had the, the right to choose if I didn't, if I didn't want, if I had decided, you know, this is a bad time or I have no money or I have no job or I have no husband, um, I would have easily uh, aborted it and not had any issue with that. Cheryl, so did I, pass it back to you. <laughs> I did, did I hear you correctly that you said twice in your life? Yes. And once was in your forties and that's when you miscarried? Yes. And I did have one when I was 25. So you did have an abortion at 25? I did do it, yes. Okay. Do you want to, I mean, you know, I definitely don't want you to feel uncomfortable. I don't, I mean, I don't want to go, that, that one I don't want to kind of spend time okay. on. Um, just, but okay. it, was, it was actually a, supportive, a more supportive uh, position in my life. I, I was jobless at the time, but the man was supportive. Um, I just did not feel ready. I felt totally like, like I was, like I was 16 or something. Like I just didn't feel mature enough. So okay. I was too scared. Okay. Well, th well, thank you for sharing that. I know that, that what you shared is very uh, personal and challenging and difficult to share. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, well, I'll go next. Um, my experience around abortion. Um, I had a pregnancy scare when I was in college and I was late for several months and terrified, you know, like most women at that age, I had not established myself, had no money, had no job. I was still in college. My life was before me kind of a thing. And to think, what would I do if I really am pregnant? My first thought was, 
um, to have an abortion, to escape, you know, this decision. And in my mind at that time, the easiest thing to do was just start all over, erase it, erase the mistake, get the abortion and move on with my life and just know better next time. Kind of a, a, a thought. Um, I was not a believer at that time. Um, I don't know. Um, obviously that probably would have played a, a, a role in my life had I been a believer, but I wasn't at that time. And so what I did was, um, I contacted my father, <laughs> which is interesting because I didn't call my mom. I called my father and I was so embarrassed to make that call. And I remember speaking to my father and he was like, Stephanie, I'm so disappointed in you. And he, and he said that with so much love. Wow. I didn't think I'd cry for this. <laughs> um, but I remember him being so loving because he was like, wow, Steph, you know, you have so much potential. And he was like, I'm so disappointed in you. He goes, but you're not going to get an abortion. He goes, I'm not going to let you get an abortion. He's like, we'll get through this. And immediately when he said that, I, I was like, okay. And I knew that if I was pregnant, I would have had the baby and I would have figured it out. And um, so that was my experience. And then I took a pregnancy test. Um, I did go to Planned Parenthood and got some information from them and got a pregnancy test and I was not pregnant. So I didn't have to make the choice, but that was um, where I was at and what I would have done had that happened. So that's my experience. Um, Devin, do you want to go next and share with, with our listeners your experience? Sure. Um, I don't honestly have a very personal experience with it. Like a huge thing is I am 25. So I'm right in that age where everybody around me is building their families so though I don't have a personal experience, I have met with people who have had abortions, who have decided to have the baby after thinking about it. And I've just met so many people and seen so many different stories that it really has become something that I believe so strongly in that you don't know what somebody's going through when they're thinking about that. And that's really where a lot of my belief system has come in that and from my own family where I have a family member that has PCOS. So she can't even have children easily. So she's very pro-life. So being able to have these different opinions around me has really helped just build my opinion from that. Thank you. Well, thank you, Devin. Okay. Um, Tawana, would you like to share with our listeners your personal testimony and experience around this topic? Sure. I grew up with a very liberal mother who believed that abortion up to three months, it was, it was the mindset that when it's small and insignificant, it doesn't matter. But after it hits a stage where now you can see the baby in the womb, but at that point at three months, the baby's got the arms and legs moving around in the ultrasound. But I had no understanding. I mean, where do you see that? Where do you, you know, where do you get education on that? So I was having, I was in a relationship for about six months and I got pregnant. And initially I knew that it was a baby. I mean, the first reaction was I'm going to be a mom. 
I'm going to have a child. And I was really excited about it. And I went to my girlfriend's house, Deanna, and she embraced me. She said, I'm with you. I'll support you, whatever your decision. And I was like, what's, what other decision? I had no, I, I, I was in kind of the wild child stage. So I wasn't really into paying attention to the news and any kind of other things. So abortion really wasn't on my radar. I really didn't understand anything about it. The procedure, risks and complications, absolutely nothing. So I left and thought, who else can I tell? Now, obviously wisdom, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. To think that I would tell the person I did, the person really close to me, a family member, knowing that she usually discouraged me whenever I did ask advice. But I went and shared with someone very close to me that I was pregnant and I was going to have a baby. And the, the individual sat me down and said, what are you thinking? What is wrong with you? You're too young. You're too immature. You live at home. You work part time. I mean, every single one of those reasons was in my definition. And the guy's not good for me. I'm not in a healthy relationship. So right away, it was like, obviously, what do you do? have the abortion. Not a big deal. Take you, pay for it, and it'll be over. And to think that, you know, it's like when a woman has a miscarriage, she suffers a loss. I heard the, the, the tone in Cheryl's voice, and I'm sorry for what you've experienced, because I've talked to a lot of women that have had miscarriages and are still, can still cry over it. Oh, thank and, you. and yet a woman who's had an abortion won't feel bad won't regret, won't feel discouraged, but I know that's not true because in my case, she took me and paid for it. And it wasn't years later that I started going back to church. I, I was a believer. I had accepted Christ when I was young, when I was just 12, but I was in a wild kind of state of mind and, you know, wanting to find that love of my life. That's right. Why I wrote the book, Guard Your Heart, because it's all about relationships. And as I started getting out of an unhealthy relationship, really that broke me, God started moving in my life and bringing me back to church and really moving me into ministry. And that's when, that's when I started realizing that it was a child, that it was a life, that um, he was bringing me things. He was, he was bringing me information. And I actually had to go through a post-abortion group because nobody was telling me to feel guilty or bad. But when I, went online and saw what happens during an abortion and the development of the unborn on these pregnancy websites. I just couldn't believe that when I had gone into the abortion facility, they did not give me any information. They did not give me a choice. They, I signed a form and I went in for the procedure. I did not have anything told to me, not even about risks or complications. In fact, they told me it was the safest procedure on the planet and I wouldn't regret it. And even when I was crying in front of the woman that I was, um, you know, the woman that was making me sign the release form and telling me to go ahead and do it. Um, I was really unsure. And she was, she was telling me that I needed to just move on because I was making the right decision. And so anyway, um, I made peace with it. And I, that's why I can talk about it. I made peace with it. I, I know that God has forgiven me. I, I, I accept that forgiveness. So I married this, you know, I wanted to meet a godly man and that works, you know, attends church with me. So I did. And we got pregnant shortly after uh, we got married and six months into our pregnancy, um, I lost the baby and uh, it was a live birth and the baby lived three hours and we named him David Nathan. And mm -hmm. I was 
devastated by the loss. And I didn't understand why. So when I did research, I went to the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, and it actually said in that version of, of the one I had, that if we've had prior abortions, we can have problems in future pregnancies. So that made mm. me go back. It was in the book. I wouldn't have, I never, ever even considered abortion as a connection, but I'm praying about all this. I want to know the truth. I don't want to keep my head in the sand. I go back to the, um, the abortionist and I get my file. It took him about three weeks to, to find it. I have it. I still have it three weeks to find it. And when I found it, I was aghast. They had written, the doctor had written that he had given me all the information. He explained the physical and emotional consequences, obviously trying to cover himself. But the amazing thing is in my testimony, I never went on to have any, we didn't go on to have any more children. And those two children are the only children that I, that we had. And to me, I, I wasn't ready, but I never imagined not having a life without kids. And when I do presentations, pro-life presentations, and I ask the, the group of 100 or 200 students, how many of them want families? I don't get the majority raising their hands, no. I get the majority raising their hands, yes. So in their mind, surely there's many that say, well, I'm not ready for a kid, or I don't want a child in my life. But there's many, many people that aren't even thinking that there might be consequences or risks. And I guess for me, as I understood the facts and the information, and then I went on and I saw the life, the development and everything, and I was able to say, you know, when you want a child, you rejoice. You tell people congratulations when you find out they're pregnant. But when a woman doesn't want a baby, then you kind of say, okay, well, listen, it's really not that significant at this point. It's really only a blob or a mass. It's all in your mind and what you think of it. So I think for me, I am totally at peace with talking about it. I am thankful that God's taken me on this road. But if I had it to do over again, I would have kept the baby. And like Stephanie said, God would have helped me work it out. And I just feel like to think that I, we have children in the 60 million that have been aborted since 1973, and we decide their fate. Surely you'll say, well, that person is a drug addict or an alcoholic, but there's many that aren't. There's many that just don't think it's the right time. But we're deciding the fate of a human being because many of those people that have been aborted would have gone on to do great things. Maybe many of them wouldn't, but we're deciding in our mind who deserves to live and who deserves to die. And that's kind of my passion is letting people know that you can do whatever you want. It's your choice. You have a right to it, but it's a baby. And many women come back to me and say, if I had it to do over again, and I'm totally with them. So that's my testimony. Boy, listening to all of our stories, I'm like wiping tears off my eyes here. I know. I know. Thank you everyone again um, for being so vulnerable and courageous to share. Um, Does anyone want to comment or share anything on the heels of what Tawana shared before we go into maybe some statistics for our listeners? I have a quick question. Okay, Michelle. Yes. Um, 
because we had this discussion yesterday, Stephanie and I, and we were just kind of wondering, like, when does life actually begin? I, I was thinking that life is in the sperm and in the egg. And I feel like, you know, once it, it meets, then that's life. It's the start of life. Is that correct? Because I know a lot of people would tell me, oh, it's just a zygote. Oh, it's just a clump of cells. And I, and I just, I'm just curious to know, like, it, it, I mean, that's scientific terms. I mean, but in reality, it's a, it's a human being. It's a, the egg is going to fertilize, the sperm is fertilizing the egg and it's going to grow into a human being. It's not going to grow into like a fruit, you know? So is life at that moment? Right. I mean, one of the things that, I found so interesting when I was um, going through the different websites today and just putting into the search bar pregnancy center, pregnancy development, um, development of the unborn. There's just, just, I mean, thousands of websites on tracking your pregnancy without any kind of concern about the woman that's going to track her pregnancy is excited about development, wants to know how the baby looks at different stages. So in her mind, she's not even, you know, it's like not even considering an abortion. So for these pregnancy websites, most people that are considering abortion probably wouldn't even go to a pregnancy website because they'd be concerned about what they did see. But I was looking at a couple of websites today and one of them was on the, the pregnancy center where it's talking about the stages and it's telling us that at the moment of conception, which is what Michelle referred to, the egg and the sperm unite, and all our DNA is spelled out. So your hair color, eye color, the propensity to disease. I mean, you began in your mother's womb that way. We all began in our mother's womb that way. So when that moment occurs, it spells out your DNA. So what happens is you're a blastocyte, and you begin your your the cells begin to rapidly divide, and the blastocyte stays in the fallopian tube. That's where pregnancy occurs. The blastocyte stays in the fallopian tube for about three to four days. And then it makes its way down into the uterus where it will implant. That's where implantation occurs. And then the, then the multiplication, again, continues to, you know, it's, it's considered an embryo. Mm -hmm. And the multiplica multiplication continues to divide. And, and so the child is growing. So, you know, that's why at 18 to 21 days, you have a heartbeat, a faint heartbeat but a heartbeat. You have the child beginning to really grow and you begin to, to see that like within the four week mark, you have the brain. It's primitive, but you have the brain. You see the eyes. If you look at an image on any pregnancy website, you see that the internal organs are beginning to develop, the kidney, the liver, they're there. They mm -hmm. just are kind of, it's almost like you condemn the child for it being small. Mm -hmm. it's, it's as if it's insignificant. But at the moment of conception, you're either a boy or girl. That's determined at that moment. So for me, when I'm teaching classes, I'll say, it's like God. He knows our name. So even though you might not think that child's significant, that child is either Tommy or Maria at the moment of conception, not later. Mm -hmm. Sex is determined at the moment. So as development continues to rapidly increase, you know, by the end of the fourth week is the heart beating 65 times a minute. I mean, you can, I check like three or four different pregnancy websites. It's not, we're not talking about bias kind of things here. We're talking about facts. And that's really, I think what we want women to, 
take away. It's like, if you're not um, a Christian, if you don't believe in God, we understand everybody's in a different place, a different walk, but at least know that you have a baby inside. At least know that that moment of conception, you know, when I'm talking to groups of people, I'll say, um, how many feel like, I'll show the four-week-old unborn baby because the image is there. You know, it, it shows the primitive head and the eyes and everything. And I'll say, how many of you think you were insignificant in your mommy's womb at this four-week mark? Well, most of the kids, then their kids don't say no because they think they're significant. They don't care about the guy down the street, but they do believe that they're significant. And then I say to them, well, go home and ask your mom if they believe you were significant at the four-week mark. But we are, we're, you know, people, everybody has a different belief system. But I think what is sad is a baby's a baby in the womb. And at the moment of creation, we have a life. And if you let it alone to that life, it will be delivered and be a child. And it's a mm -hmm. child in the womb and it's a child outside the womb. What you want to do right. with it is up to you. Right. Well, thank you. And so from what, I, so what I'm hearing um, from both you, Michelle and Tawana, and, and I would also share the same point of view is that life begins the moment of conception. Now let, let's hear from Cheryl and Devin. Um, how, how do you guys define life? So how would you answer that question? Um, when does life begin? And obviously we'd have to define, how do you define life? If you guys wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts. Devin, you so, want to jump in first? Yeah. Um, so I personally believe that life is life. As soon as there's a heartbeat, there's a rhythm, there's anything, it is life. I don't dispute that at all. However, I also think that life is all around us and we don't, when we talk about the significance of life, there are so many things around us full of life that we don't take significance in. And I think that at that point in time, you, I'm not saying that it's insignificant in any way, shape, or form. I'm saying that when you're looking at a woman who is sitting here saying, like, for me to be okay, a fully grown human being, or for some part of them to be the best person that they can be, they have to have this choice in order to make the decision whether or not to have a baby. And not always is it as simple as saying, well, it's a life. So are all the trees around us that get cut down every day to make room for buildings. So are the ants and the pests in the house that we get rid of through chemicals. So are so many other things. I believe that when you're talking about life, it's not always the significance. Everything in the universe is significant to some way, shape or form. It's about when it comes down to your personal choices, do you have the choice to do the best or what you need to be in order to get to where you're going or not. I would agree with Devin. I mean, how much life is here now, you know, kids in cages at the border, you know, kids without healthcare, kids in foster systems. I mean, as soon as that child is born, nobody cares. So I, I get, I get that. Okay. When an egg and a sperm unite, all right, it's starting to become, uh, it's working on bec becoming a potential life because many, many uh, zygotes don't make it. Many embryos don't make it. I mean, it's, it's a potential life. That's, that's how I see. Um, and I don't think it's 
a more significant life than the mother if she decides that she cannot handle it, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whether it's whatever. Um, I, I just don't think it's more significant at that at that exact moment that that the of conception. And I and I still believe a, a choice. Look, I, if 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 we want to choose life each time, great, and pushing life each time, great. I mean, nobody wants an abortion, you know, nobody's pro-abortion. It's just, please give me that choice if my circumstances happen to be heinous, you know, if it's a rape, if it's an incest, if it's whatever my situation is dire, you know, don't force me to have a mental breakdown to do something that I can't do. Yeah, so... So what I heard, at least I heard from Devin, the answer of when does life begin, you were saying, if I heard you correctly, when there's a heartbeat? I mean, quite frankly, I believe that there's life in every single cell in my body. I believe that there is life in the egg, every single egg in my body. Like, it's so much more before even when the sperm meets the egg. Like, you have the same DNA, maybe not as much, but you have DNA in every single cell especially in the egg and in the sperm. That's a good I point. Believe well, I believe love starts beforehand. I have a question then. Is um, birth control a form of abortion? No, I don't it believe not. it's a form of abortion, no. But I do believe that it stops it from being pregnant. Like, there are so many gray areas that I've seen in, you know, pro-choice, pro-life discussions. It's like, do I think that abortion is always the best thing to do no but do i believe taking away the choice of abortion is the right thing to do no i think that's the biggest distinguish between my personal pr preference like like cheryl said i'm not pro-abortion i'm pro giving somebody the choice to have it so i have a question then if if somebody if if my neighbor down the block or let's say me let's say i give birth and i decide you know i can't take care of this baby so i'm just going to put it in a dumpster and just let it die do i am i going to get arrested for that like should i get arrested for that of course and you do that's homicide okay it's but isn't that baby the, right but that that to me is the same thing as me killing the baby in my womb it's still the same thing it's just that it hasn't been born yet what if i i decide you know i can't i can't afford the baby i don't want the baby so i'm going to get an abortion why aren't i getting arrested i just killed the baby that's the law. That's homicide. That's inf infanticide. You, you can't kill a living human breathing, uh, breathing human being. So can I go ahead and bounce off that really quickly? Yeah. Because there's a very clear distinguishing between the two of them. It depends on if the baby is still depending on the mother for life. So there comes a point when you can actually have a C-section or a premature birth and the baby can still live. That is a huge difference than when very, especially very early on, when the baby is completely and totally dependent on the mother for blood, oxygen, food, survival, like literally taking from the mother's body. So that's where my personal distinction comes with that question is I believe that after the baby's been born, if you don't feel like you can take care of it and you decide to quote unquote get rid of it in that particular ideology, then no, that's murder. 
So let me just make sure I'm understanding what you're saying. So the idea is that if the baby is still in need of the mother for, for development and nutrition and so forth, then an abortion would not be murder because the baby's not able to survive on its own. Yes, because the baby is still a extension fully for developmental and every single way of life depends on the mother. I don't believe in telling the mother that you have to go through nine months of fully, you know, continuing giving up part of yourself to a baby and things that like, when you're, when you're, when you are a mother, you obviously have to give parts of yourself to a baby. That's a separate idea because you're choosing to. I don't believe in anybody having to give up parts of themselves for nine months that are blood, oxygen, you know, there's people who are on medication that they can't take while they're pregnant even. I think that one of the things that in talking about a woman who puts a baby in a dumpster, who has carried the baby for nine months and then just discards it. I mean, there are in most states, uh, places, the police stations, fire stations, medical centers, churches, there's a lot of places that people don't even ask the name of who you are because they want to receive that baby. And, and about arresting a woman, a woman who is going through something like that is very, very troubled. And if she was going to do something like that, she is not, something is wrong and she mm-hmm. needs help and she needs counseling and she needs, who knows exactly what she needs. Maybe she needs meds, who knows what's right. going on in her mind and her body. But obviously we would not condemn a woman who is doing that, even though there are states that actually do charge women with homicide after the baby's born because the, it's a child, the baby's alive, the baby's a child. But I think that we have to be careful because a woman who does something like that, you know, we don't arrest sick people or sick, you know, people that are unstable or have something wrong. No one in their right mind, I, I hope, would not dispose of a child in a dumpster, you know? Right. So I think they need love and support and the church and others, friends, family should come alongside her and try to counsel her and help her. But the other thing is there's over a million couples waiting to adopt. Mm-hmm. See, we, we actually are out in front of an abortion facility and we see a lot of babies saved in that process. And one of the amazing things is I have people that are literally on a waiting list saying, if you have anyone, anyone, and some of these women and men that are waiting for a baby, can't have children themselves. So they're actually vetted. You can, you can know that they got a good education and that they come from a good background. You know, you can vet the kind of family that you have or that you place your baby with. But, um, you know, if you don't want the child, we say, then place it for adoption. Don't dispose of the child. And even if the child is in the early stages, it's like at, at five months when you begin to feel the kicking, the quickening, which is the kicking, the fluttering, that if anyone's had children, they understand that. Mm -hmm. To think that prior to that, it's okay, or even the three-month mark, even though the baby's got arms and legs, fingers and toes, that's why when women see ultrasounds, there's a lot of, I think there might be 20 states that require an ultrasound. And one of the reasons is that over 90% of women who see ultrasounds keep their babies. And that's because the women that are in that stage of pregnancy are seeing that little life 
that little heartbeat and they're going, I can't do it. They, they bond with the child. Whereas if you don't see an image, it's not a, it's not a reality. It's not a baby. You can mm -hmm. kind of tell yourself in your mind. And, and here's the other thing I think, and then I'll let you guys jump in and is that the abortion was the most selfish thing I ever did because a baby, when you have a child, you jump in front of a car to save it, right? You'd, so hopefully you'd lay down your life like Christ laid down his life for us, lay down your life for your children. And mm -hmm. sadly, before pregnant, before you have the baby, it's not about that child's welfare or its mm -hmm. future or its life. It's really about your life. Mm -hmm. I mean, I hear constantly people saying, it's not the right time. That's the common response I get when I'm counseling women. Yeah. It isn't, I'm, mm -hmm. I have a fetal abnormality or I have some kind of serious, not that that doesn't happen, I've had them, but many, many times it's more of an elective kind of thing because they're not ready. They're focused on their career and college and that kind of thing. Right, and I think that, that my point you know, to that question was kind of, to me, I feel like, you're murdering a baby, whether it's inside your belly or outside your belly. To me, it's murder is murder. You know, it's that you said that before. Um, uh, Devin was saying that it, it's you know the baby's dependent on the mother inside the womb and and all that. But the baby is dependent also the one that I put in the dumpster. Not that I did that, but I'm saying the, even the baby that's in the dumpster is dependent on a mother for food for. Um, protection. So to me, I feel like that that's my point. My point is, what's the difference? Why should a person be arrested murdering the baby outside the womb than inside the womb? You're still murdering a baby inside your womb. It's still a baby, whether it's outside or inside. It's still, to me, I'm, I'm, I feel very strong on that. It's murder. Murder is murder. And I, that's that was my point. My point was, do you think a mother should get arrested for putting her baby in a dumpster? And you said yes. So then, okay. So if I kill a baby in my womb, why can't I get a? Why aren't I getting arrested? I just murdered a baby, my baby. Okay, so but that's, that's not the law. The law is prior to um, prior to twelve weeks, when it's still a fetus or a embryo or a zygote, you can remove it. That's just the law. And I find that laws that then that's where the, there needs to be education because th that's where the education has to come in. It's murder. And, and people need to know that the people, they brush it off. Like it's nothing. It's, it's, it's a human being. It's a human being. You, you just killed the baby. So it's not a baby just, yet. It's it is a baby. A fetus. Right. A fetus is going to be a baby. A it's fetus. a potential baby. That's just what the law is saying. I'm not, here's, I'm just telling you. <laughs> here's, here's what fetus means in Latin, the actual meaning of the word. I was, I was actually doing a, an interview with uh, uh, Channel 7. And when the man asked me, or, or I asked him what fetus meant, he didn't know. And I said, fetus means little one or offspring. Mm -hmm. Offspring is your future children and grandchildren. So before abortion became legal, the majority of women placed their babies for adoption. And mm -hmm. surely, you know, now we have 95% of women placing their or having abortions instead of adoption. But prior to abortion being legal, there was still a mindset that's different from the mindset we have today. Mm -hmm. The mindset today is it's a burden. Mm -hmm. it, it's a problem. We have a, we have a problem. We need a solution. I mean, 
the 19 in the 60s when Planned Parenthood became kind of rolled out their advertising agenda, they would have posters that that showed babies like the diapers or you know how do you pay for diapers and messy diapers who wants to take care of messy diapers it wasn't welcoming the baby as as you see a woman who goes through pregnancy and then is holding that bundle of joy and saying oh look at this child look at the eyes they look like mine look at the i mean we're not connecting the life inside the womb to the life outside of the womb and whether when you say that it's not a baby mm -hmm. we say okay when I was in my mother's womb, I went through stages of development, just like I'm a toddler, just like I'm an adolescent, just like I'm elderly. The womb is the same thing. When we go through stages of development in the womb, it doesn't dehumanize our bodies because we're developing. It's just, you know, when you have a eight week old baby, if you look at an ultrasound, like if we went online right now after we got off and we just logged into a pregnancy center, a, a, a unbiased, both sides pregnancy center website and looked up ultrasound on eight week old baby, you'd see a baby in the womb bouncing around little, little, but still bouncing around. That's mm -hmm. a baby. So when you have 12 weeks, you see an even bigger baby. And then the baby begins to, I mean, four months you have quickening, you have the kicking, you have the moving around. Mm -hmm. It isn't that the baby wasn't inside the womb moving around. It was that the mommy didn't feel it because the baby wasn't big enough. So when the baby gets bigger, so, so it really is this, kind of journey that the baby's on of growth and development. Not, okay, I'm now six months old, I get out of the womb, I can take my first breath, now I'm a baby. Well, if that's what you think, everybody has a right to believe what they want. But that baby didn't have anything different at five months or four months than it did at six months. Mm -hmm. Just the ability to breathe on its own because right. its lungs weren't developed enough. And, and I think really it's possible that. that everybody agrees with that. You know, I think it, okay. I think there's just um, a reality check that that a lot of people end up kind of making their decision on. Like if I, you know, if if it's just I don't know what 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 would you say in the case of rape and incest? You still think the woman should should get PTSD over and over again, uh, bearing the child of a rapist? I mean, that's insane to me that her life doesn't matter. I think that when we look at the child, that it's a life and it has a heartbeat, and we know that she's been violated. I've counseled women that are in these situations. I've actually counseled women that are in these situations. I've had a few that have kept them and a few that haven't. So I've got, they've gone both ways. But there's a woman, an international speaker, a prominent attorney. She has a website. She goes all over the country speaking. Her name is Rebecca Kessling, and her last name is Kessling. And she's a beautiful woman. And she was conceived in rape. And one of the things she says is her mother placed her for adoption, kept her and placed her for adoption. And she, she actually is very passionate. I mean, she'd be great on a podcast like this because yeah. she's like, why don't I deserve a right to life? Why would you condemn me for something crazy that someone did? And I get it. But there's another woman who heads up Mary's Pregnancy Resource Center. They have two locations, one of the most prominent pregnancy centers in Broward County. And Yoy Reyes, that's her name, she, um, she was raped and at a young age, as a teenager, and she kept her baby. And her son is her greatest, greatest champion. And he goes with her and speaks with her. And she says, I, and they didn't have any more children. So she says, I am so thankful for my son, because if, 
I thought that my son would be labeled, you know, my son is my son, right? My son is my child. I'm going to raise that child the way I want to. He doesn't have to know until he's able to handle and know. But at this point, you know, people say, well, if a woman keeps a baby and she's raped, then she's going to have memories of that. And the baby is going to remind her of her trauma. And the baby, well, we have a lot of, I, I don't know about you. I think we all have traumas that have happened in our life, sexual and otherwise. And Correct. some deep, deep, me too. Yep. If you want to do something to me because I've had some kind of awful traumatic experience, I have to say, we just have to work through the trauma, work yeah. through the challenges, but we don't want to say that life under certain, is life valuable only under certain circumstances? And if the circumstances are bad, is the life not valuable? No, the, the life of the woman is what's valuable. What she's going to feel and experience is what matters most, not the life of the child in the womb. Yeah, and you those know, are great not, points. I just believe that um, not all women have that strength. And so they, they do deserve the, the choice to, to opt out. Um, and I'm glad, I, I do glad, I am glad that you, you're all, you know, it's either a life or it's not because any, anyone who is of faith and still saying, well, in this exception, it's, it's okay to abort, you know, then it's kind of like, well, then it's not a life then, you know, so I'm, I'm glad you're at least all, you know, standing on that it's a life in any, in any, you know, however it was conceived. So can I interject for a quick second? Mm -hmm. Please do. So. I was actually raped, so I have, like, a very clear understanding of what it's like to go through that on a, like, it was my first time kind of instance, and when I tell you that if I had gotten pregnant from that, because they did not use any kind of safety measures, and I had to have that choice, I would not, not be able to have become the person I am today because just getting through the rape alone caused me to become a totally different person and that took longer than longer than it would have taken to develop a baby I still get PTSD in certain parts of my own city where if I see something and I'm like oh my gosh I need to go be alone I need to get away right now so every single woman is different mm. so it's not and like I said, I am a huge advocate that life is in every single cell in our body. I'm a huge advocate that, you know, women should see an ultrasound before they choose abortion. I'm a huge advocate that abortion isn't always the best thing to do, but I'm a much bigger advocate where if you feel like you need it in order to be okay in whatever your situation is, because I come from, uh, I come from a family that has genetic predisposition to anxiety and depression. Like, so that particular situation where I was raped, it was my first time. And had I had to deal with anything additional and I was already to a point where I was incredibly depressed. No, I would not be here today. So in your particular situation, are you saying that my life and my choice is less important than a baby that may or may not have totally made it anyways? It goes both ways. I, I agree. I think that when you really believe, kind of on the heels of what Michelle is saying, that life is life. I was a life. If I had been conceived that way, how would I have turned out? I think 
Some will turn out okay and some won't. Not all of them will turn out bad. So we're deciding the fate of a human being. We're deciding right. which ones will live and which ones will die and which ones will be successful. And I have to say, right. when I'm counseling, I have countless, I mean, I've been doing this 18 years. I have countless women who I can't even begin to tell you the traumas. And Devin, I'm sorry, I know the pain. I've, I've counseled women. It's, tra it's trauma. It's trauma. But you know what? I've also talked to so many women like myself who have experienced deep trauma and have been healed. There's yeah. a Trees of Hope mm -hmm. ministry for women who have been sexually abused and neglected, and it is very active in churches throughout the community, and it's, very, it's one of our ministries at Calvary Chapel. And one of the things that it does is women come in and say, you know what, I can't take it anymore. I want to be healed. I want to experience freedom. Why do I still cry? Why do I still have fear? Why do I still have intimacy issues? And we've seen women that, just like myself, can talk about their healing, can, can be facilitators in groups. So I think that your right to us, I mean, you live in America where you have a right to do whatever you want. And I don't care whether abortion is legal or illegal. They're going to do it if they want to. Right, right. They are. They're going to find somebody. They're going to find a way. And, and we don't live in back alleys anymore. We've got doctors that'll do it just like the plastic surgeons will do it and all that other kind of stuff. But yep. I think that if we really understand that you began as a life, you are who you are because your mommy gave birth to you and she conceived you and decided to keep you. And so now it's all a decision that we make based on circumstances. And surely, I mean, one of the questions that was listed on the outline was the number of abortions. And I'm going to jump into that real quick. Um, I have the Agency for Healthcare Administration. That's through the Florida Department of Health. And the Office of Vital Statistics keeps records of the termination of pregnancy. So they do it year by year. They've done it since the beginning of abortion being legal. They do it county by county. So I have a printout right here in front of me of Alachua and the other counties where the abortions take place and how many are in each county and, and most of the counties, except for just a maybe a hand, maybe a handful, they all you can wreck it, you, they have abortions. Abortions are happening in their county. And when you see the breakdown, one of the things that they do in the breakdown is when you go into an abortion facility because of your rights and because of your pre the privacy laws, they're only required to report how far along you are and why you came. So that's, let me just repeat that. The two things that are required by law to be reported through the Florida Department of Health in the state of Florida is how far along the woman is and the reason that she comes. So in this year 2018, there were 70,000 abortions. Okay. So in 2018, in Broward County, there were almost 10,000. There were 9,930. The breakdown for the amount, the numbers is first trimester, for social and economic reasons. So the woman's actually coming into the abortion facility and she's saying, I can't afford the baby because she's got to put the list, the list is there. Why would she lie? She's putting what she is there for. So 13,000 put social economic. The emotional psychological health of the mother, 1,000 put that there was actually emotional. And you know why? 
Because when you're in, in a doctor's office and they're saying you've got emotional problems, they better check it before they give you the abortion. Because if something traumatic happens to you, like you kill yourself or something, which has happened, I have cases of those, um, you better have done your research because you're liable. That's why they have you sign a release form. Um, the mother's life that's not endangered is 900. So the physical health of the mother that is not life endangering, 920. The um, life endangering physical condition, 164. Fetal gen genetic defects, 257. Incest, 8. Rate, 71. Now remember, when you go to a facility and that person says that they've been raped or there's incest, they better find out because if someone's violated them and raped them, are they being put back into the home? Were they raped by their grandfather? Were they raped by their father? Yeah. I mean, we don't want, we need to know what happened to this woman. Rape covers up violators. Rape covers up people that hurt somebody and they get away with it. A lot of times they get away with it because people don't want to press charges and they don't want to do anything. Mm. But the abortion facility should have doctors there saying, I'm sorry, but I am required to report this because who did this to you? right? Yeah. Who did this to you? This is a violation. If you want to talk about protecting women, we need to make those people that hurt them accountable. And surely Great you're going to say, you know, surely you're going to say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Um, I don't want to be, you know, put through the ringer and go through a trial. Well then let him back on the street again to rape somebody else. Cause that's what he'll do. And you know, um, Yoy Reyes, she was, she was impregnated by her stepfather, the one that kept her baby and has a son now. It wasn't, it was incest mm. in the family. Oof. And, and, you know, one of the things that I wanted to leave on the numbers, just so you can kind of digest this and kind of receive what I'm trying to say, comparison wise, people who go in and say, you know what, it's my right. It's my body. It's not the right time is 50,139 that are listed. And this is not, this is unbiased. So just know there's a lot of women going in there that can say, I could have a baby if I really wanted a baby, but I don't want a baby. I don't want to get fat. I don't want to stay with my boyfriend. I don't want to struggle. I don't know if I'll be able to get childcare. I don't know if I'll be able to do whatever. I, I, maybe, I mean, I had a woman tell me she didn't know whether she was going to be able to travel anymore. Well, that's a good reason for not having a baby, right? But that's her mindset. You know, we don't want to condemn anybody. We want to come alongside them and give them information and resources and help. And, you know, consequences come. A baby's a baby. When a woman has an abortion or um, a miscarriage, we've seen her suffer immensely. Now a woman finds out how abortions are performed, the development of her unborn baby in the womb. She sees all of this and she's not going to feel bad about it. Why wouldn't she? Why wouldn't she? A woman that cares about the baby grieves the loss of the child at three months, but the woman who doesn't care about the baby, she can just go in and dispose of it, and they dispose of it. I mean, we don't even want to, when I tell the, the kids when I'm teaching, and I teach groups of 500, 700 people, when I tell the groups, uh, do you want, you know, they'll ask, one, somebody will say, what do they do with the babies? And then there'll be people in the group that'll say, don't tell us what they do. Don't tell us what they do. And the guy will say, no, I want to know what they do. See, there's a denial.
what do they do for, for those who don't know? Well, you know, the first 12 weeks is the, uh, where they dilate. So they use dilators. So they have to force the cervix open. So the cervix is sealed. It's practically sealed because when you get pregnant, your body's created to have the baby. I mean, you're maternal. You don't have to have a child if you don't want to, but you release an egg every month to have a baby. So the cervix tightens up to keep that baby in so that when the baby gets bigger, the child won't fall out. So they have to force the cervix open with a certain level of dilators. They get wider and wider. That's what happened to me. My cervix was damaged during the abortion okay. procedure. So that's what happened hmm. to me. But they force the, and, and obviously it's a medical procedure, right? Problems okay. happen. People can say what they want about there's no risk, but well, I can tell you there is. I can raise my hand and say that's not true. But they, they then take the, um, they pierce the amniotic sac, which the baby's living in. So the baby moves around and tries to actually escape the abortionist tools. And the, the mm. doctor, the abortionist will go in and he will use a suction catheter to remove the baby. So when you see the baby at the eight to 12 week mark where you actually see arms and legs, fingers and toes, you actually have a collection tube where women have said that have come out of working at abortion facilities that they could see the parts of the baby going through the tubes. So that's really, I mean, it's a baby, it's not a blob. I mean, people can try to tell themselves it's a blob, but that's why I encourage people to just do some research tonight on pregnancy-centered development of unborn because it's not a blob. And so um, that's the first trimester. And then if it's the baby's at 12 weeks, then the head's too developed to, to make its way out of, the, uh, out of the birth canal. So they have to, to crush the skull. They use forceps. Oh boy. And then at the 13 to 24 week, it's called DNE, which is um, the evacuation. It's the dilation, which is the, the, they use laminaria because it's like a seaweed to expand the, the birth canal. And then they actually have to remove, it's too big to come through the tube. So they actually remove it piece by piece. And the abortionist will put it back together on the table. So like evil. Those people sound like it's evil. crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Evil. It's crazy. So, and you know, when you just let me say second trimester in 2018 abortions were 4,268. That's the second trimester. Hmm. And two twenty seven hundred were um, elective. And there were there were numbers for others, but twenty seven hundred were elective of the second trimester. So second trimester means means what that the baby in order for it to be aborted needed to be pulled well, apart piece you know, by piece. Remember, yes, yeah. The the thirteen to twenty four mark is the dilation and excavation because of the size of the baby. Okay. The baby cannot be removed by a tube anymore after. So what months. states allow that? Because usually it's not past. Most states have a law that it's not past twenty four weeks, but. No, it, it, what happens is it's like that law that was passed that was celebrated in New York. If you look on the website about the reproductive law that was passed, you'll see that there's three reasons. It'll say up to 24 weeks, but then it'll say, and if the woman's life, what's the other reason? If the woman's life or yeah, health. If her life or health, if her life or health is at risk or if the fetus is non-viable. So here's what health is. 
This is how people go all the way up to nine months if they don't want a baby. Health is written in Roe v. Wade, Doe v. Bolton, when it was passed in 1973, um, Justice Blackman, who wrote the decision for Roe v. Wade, wrote health was defined as familial problems. This is how we have the legalization for abortion in, in any reason. It, it, before it was legalized, it was only to save the life of the mother in the majority of the states. That was it. It was only, and if the mother was dying, they chose to abort because it was the life of the mother. In 1973, then that changed. It was no longer the life of the mother. You know, it was um, the baby or the, um, the woman's right. What she wanted, her life. Tawana, can you finish reading the definition of health? Oh, yes. Um, you know, if I go on, let me see. Um, the definition of health is familial, age, um, circumstances. It's broad so that this way, I'm actually Googling it right now. This way, when a woman comes in and says, I have family issues, it's familial. I'm young. Okay. It's age. So, yeah. so when someone says, Abortion isn't legal up to, you know, past three months. I mean, a lot of people don't even know that second trimesters are legal. Well, I just read to you 2,700 that occurred in 2018. So they obviously have to be legal because how did these 2,700 women have second trimester abortions? And that's the, that's the second trimester. That's three to six months. And babies have and the, been, you know... Made and the legal loophole, the legal loophole you're saying is in, is is hidden within that word, the definition That's of that right. word health. That's right. That's right. So this way, if people come to you and say, oh, no one can have an abortion at 30 weeks, what do you mean? I mean, there's one listed on my report in 2018, third trimester. There's one for physical condition in the third trimester, and there's one for fetal condition in the third trimester, but it's still third trimester. If it was illegal, they couldn't do it. Right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, Tawana, were you able to find that definition of health? I'm actually, wait, let me see. Or can I look it up for you? Um, sure, how, sure, would I, sure. how would I search that for you while, while we continue the conversation? So it's definition of health uh, uh, under Roe versus Wade. Is that right? Right. Okay. I'll look that up. Okay, great. And I think that's what opened the door to what we're dealing with now. It's no longer just to save the life of the mom. It's not no longer just genetic because look at, look at the 50,000 abortions that occurred in 2018 for elective reasons in the first and second trimester. These are women that could have children, but they're choosing to abort because it's not the right time. And I'm trying to find it and I usually look it up pretty quickly. Oh, here it is. Okay, I found it. Okay. All right. Okay, so just to give you a quick update or synopsis of it, um, Roe v. Wade was a case that came out of Texas and Doe v. Bolton was a case that came out of Georgia. They both were companion cases that went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. So when the ruling was handed down, it was handed down by, interestingly, a seven to two majority of men, because there were only men 
you know, women condemned men and men were the ones that made abortion legal. I, I laugh at that, but hmm, seven to two decision, isn't that interesting? Seven to two decision was handed down for the legalization of abortion. And Justice Blackman was the one that penned the decision. And sorry, there's um, Justice Blackman. Justice Blackman was the one that penned the decision. So this is what I'm reading in Doe v. Bolton, the case numbers 410 U.S. 179 in 1973. It says, in Doe v. Bolton, the court ruled that a woman's right to an abortion could not be limited by the state if abortion was sought for reasons of maternal health. So that sounds good, reasons of maternal health. The court defined health. So these, these men, these attorneys, these U.S. Supreme Court justices, they're not doctors. I mean, they were actually amicus briefs and all kinds of doctors who said, this isn't good for women. This is not maternal. This is not healthy for women. How can we say that it's good for a woman to abort her child? But this is what the court defined as health. All factors relating to, this is, this is the law, physical, emotional, psychological, familial, and the woman's age relevant to the well-being of the patient. So I don't have to get a doctor's note before I go into an abortion facility and say, emotionally, I'm not ready to have a child. They're not even going to question me because of this writing. I can say, well, wait, I'm seven months pregnant. Well, some abortionists, like the ones in Broward, they'll say, oh, we can't do late term. We can only do them up to 24. But we have a, an abortionist in Orlando named Dr. Pendergraft who will do abortions late term. So there are people that stand in front of that abortion facility while women walk in showing, showing. Wow. Wow. And if anybody doesn't believe it, just go down to the abortion facility that John Barrows, he's one of the leaders there with a the team of prayer warriors that are trying to talk these women that are six, seven, eight months pregnant into keeping their babies so somebody, and they've got a church connected, so they've got actually resources through the church. They've got women and men waiting for adoption of babies and stuff. So they've got a whole system set up to help women who are in a crisis situation. They're doing it well. In fact, I think they're one of the ones that are doing it the best because they have a church connected and they really are trying to, excuse me, they're really trying to care for the woman. So what are these women's stories? I mean, I, I've never heard of, I've never even heard of a, a woman electing to have an abortion at eight or nine months for, you know, a perfectly healthy baby. Um, what are their stories? What took them nine months to, to figure out that they didn't want it? I mean, boy, that would be a good talk for John Barrows. <laughs> He's been standing in front of the abortion facility at, at Dr. Pendergraft's office for so long, but they range just like, the gamut of this from being serious to not wanting the baby, to not knowing they were pregnant, to being in denial about the pregnancy, to struggling with the pregnancy and finally deciding that they just didn't want. It's, it's kind of like seeing the child that's being discarded in the trash can. I mean, if a baby can survive outside the woman's womb after seven, eight, you know, in the third trimester, why aren't they taking the baby out? and saving it and, you know, incubating it and, and giving it up for adoption. I personally am totally on the same, um, same side as you are. Like at that point, abortion shouldn't be an option unless there is a very, very grave reason. 
Mm. No, I mean, it's a serious question. Why, why, why aren't the doctors just keeping the baby and incubating it, taking it to a hospital, and now it's an orphan? I mean, because it can, it can survive without the mother at that point. So it doesn't make any sense that anyone's performing an abortion at that stage. Well, I think that that's the sad part of where we are because people are emotionally at a place, as we know, everybody struggles with different issues, different things. Pregnancy is a life-changing experience. It's not easy. A lot, most of the women that have, that get pregnant, 60% of them have children already. Most of them aren't married. So the support system isn't there. So I mean, I talk to women who tell me how hard it is to have children and they've got a support system. So it isn't an easy thing. But I think that one of the things I've seen is counseling women to keep their babies that they were so afraid and so panicky and they didn't think they could do it. And now I'm following them because we still help them after the birth. And we're seeing them so thankful that they kept their baby so thankful. I mean, I had one woman who kept her baby, named him Zion. And a couple of months after she, she gave birth, her sister died in a tragic accident. I, if I gave you the name, some might even recognize the name of the woman. And she was so thankful that she had the baby because she was so close to her sister. There was such a void. It was so empty. And she was saying to me, thank God he brought you into my life at that point because if I didn't have Zion, I don't even think I'd have a reason for living right now because she really was devastated over the loss of, of her sister. So I think everybody's story is different. And I think that when we come alongside, we're all going through challenges and seasons. And the best thing to do is to give people hope. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I love about the name Hope Women Center, the local pregnancy center in Broward, is I think they have about 4,000 babies that are saved every year and women come to them. They don't advertise for women to go to them or anything. They, they, they go through the church really, or most of them are word of mouth, but there's so many babies that are saved. And when you go to their banquets every year, they have a big banquet every year. When you go to those banquets, the women, then some of them are young. Some of them are, are teenagers, 17, 18, 19 years old. And they're up there cradling their babies going, it's my baby. It's my boy. It's my girl. You know? It's a life. It's a, it's a child. So I think that as far as the, the age, I think I'm actually on John Barros. It's B-A-R-R-O-S. And you'll see women and they're showing and they've kept their babies. Sometimes they don't. So there's tragic uh, testimonies on, on, his, uh, on his Facebook page. But I think that, it, like Stephanie was saying, I think it was Stephanie or was it? I think it was Stephanie. Um, that was saying that how could you know, we had a speaker, we have an annual event every year, and we had a speaker named Gianna Jessen, and she's international. And she was, she's 42 years old now. Her mother was seven months pregnant and tried to abort her. She was born alive um. and has cerebral palsy. She spoke so articulately. She is the best speaker in the years we've done the breakfast the best speaker we've ever had, but boy, what an argument she makes for life because she, she's crippled. She doesn't want assistance. She walks kind of wobbly, but she gets up to the podium and she professes my life that my mother tried to destroy is worth living. 
and I have a message. And her message is one of hope. So imagine how many people have, pe have children that might get, have special needs or ha might have an accident that requires special needs. And then yeah. you've got this woman who her mother tried to abort saying, you know what, I made it, you can too. And that's the message because we can all make it. We can. You might not think you can, you might not believe you can, but what we're telling you is with God's help, you can. Mm. Yeah. Now, what if somebody's not a believer and, and you say, you know, with God's help and they don't believe in God? You know, what do you say to them? Well, I think that one of the things we have to understand is when you're getting ready to go into an abortion facility, it's a medical procedure. So like every other medical procedure, you need to understand the facts. What's happening inside the womb? Do you want to know the development of the unborn baby at the stage you're in? Do you want to understand the risks and complications that are possible? Do you want to fully understand that this can have emotional and physical consequences? And then we give them the information, we give them everything, we show them pictures and things like that. And you know, we're out in front of the abortion facility. People turn around and leave and say, I can't do it. Thanks for being here. I needed a sign and that kind of thing. And then women go right in and say, you know what? I, I'm not ready. And we say, you know what? We did what we could. We did what we could because awareness is half the battle. So the more you do know, the more you're accountable for. So when you, when you realize like, I have women that come into my Bible study groups and they, when I talk about my abortion, they'll say, they'll cry. I never was able to have children. And then they'll tell me they had one, two or three abortions. So the only children they had were their aborted ones. And sure, when you're first young and you're not worried about the future, like my mom said, don't worry, you'll have more children. You'll right. be able to go on. Yep. No, mom, you're wrong. Yep. You can, you think you can control your destiny and your life? Well, more power to you. God's told me I don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. And he's used me because he brought me into ministry. And I'm very, very thankful to be able to be a voice because here's my, my thought. I had an abortion when I was 18 years old and I had a little baby and I didn't care about him. I cared more about myself. And what I feel is I'm speaking on his behalf because he has a voice and he has every right to be defended. And I'm not trying to brainwash anybody or make anybody feel guilty. I'm just saying that in my heart, I'm speaking for my children that I lost. Now, as the, um, oh, as the unbeliever of the group, but it's irrelevant to my question, um, but one of the things that bothers me, I mean, it would be so great if, if women could, you know, just didn't feel the need to have abortion. And um, you mentioned, Tuana, that um, the biggest reason is socioeconomic. And if I feel like the majority of pro-lifers in the country, you know, and they're especially like Bible belts or red states, if they're so pro-life, why are they also the same people that are shooting down, you know, healthcare or maternity leave or food for, you know, it's like once the child appears on the planet, it's like, good luck with that, you know, and, you know, there's no laws to make 
to make men accountable for the pregnancy. I mean, not, it's just like the woman's on her own. And I don't understand if they really, really want women to give birth, then why don't they set up programs, you know, to, to allow for it to be somewhat sustainable and also make the men, you know, join in and, and force them to help or force them to, I mean, I know you can't force anyone to stay, but you know, it shouldn't just be on our shoulders. What do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that when you flip that coin and the husband comes to husband, comes to us saying, I want this baby kind of, who was the one that said that she got support from the guy? Who was it? Was it Devin? Or if you were pregnant, was it Michelle? Wow. It was Cheryl. No, it was me, but it was, trust me, it was a pretty strange situation that wouldn't have, it was not like we were going to run off and get married. Though, let's put it that way. <laughs> Can you repeat the question? I'm sorry, Cheryl. Sure. I'm just, I'm just curious why if, if, if society wants to, to move more towards pro-life, then where is the support? Why would we shoot down maternity leave? Why would we, you know, not hold men more accountable for their part in it? Why, why wouldn't we, why would we shoot down food programs and childcare? Why is all daycare, everything so difficult? I mean, if you want me to have a baby, then make it a little easier for me to deal with. Well, what, one of the things I was trying to say before I flew out the window, one of the things I was trying to say is that when a woman is pregnant through the whole pregnancy, the guy, the husband, the boyfriend, it doesn't matter how long they've been married. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. It's her right. He cannot influence, you know, he, if, if she says it's my choice, he has no say in it at all. And we've had numerous fathers come to us saying, how can she have a right to kill my baby? How can I not be allowed to require her because it's her body? So now we have the guy who doesn't have any say so. And now the woman says, okay, but you got me pregnant. So you're going to be responsible for the baby for 18 years. And I think that obviously there, I have cases where women have said that the guy did help her and has given child support and they had to sue for child support and that kind of thing. But I think one of the things that Stephanie talked to when we were having our conversation um, a couple of weeks ago was the sexual immorality or sex outside of marriage. And the fact that if we're going to get, if we're going to have sex and we think that we're not thinking through these things, we're not thinking through pregnancy. We're not thinking through the change of life. We're not thinking, we have to think about it. So if we go out and we just have sex and then think, okay, what am I going to do now? Well, now the option is, is abortion. And now everybody should take care of my mm. indiscretion. Mm. Everybody should be responsible mm. for paying mm. for my bills and taking care of my insurance. And yeah. right. And I, I think that we want to be supportive. I mean, I was just looking up that in, um, in, the, in the country, there's maternity leave. It's required in the U S that gives the woman protects her job for up to 12 weeks after childbirth or adoption. So there is that protection for her job. And so there are things that are in place. It's, but it's, it's a very small percentage of who's eligible for that, by the way. But, 
but one of the things that we say when we're out in front of the abortion facility is we help women. So when they tell me that there's no, they don't have the money, we say, oh, well, I mean, that's what, what our organization is there for. So if you call me tomorrow and you say you have a woman and she needs a place to stay, we'll find her a place, even if we have to pay for it. We're not going to let her go. And then people will say, oh, wait a minute. What about after the pregnancy is completed? Well, our church has a maternity home for women up to 21 years old. And after the baby's born, they go through a year, sometimes even two years. One of the women that I'm in counseling with right now, her baby's two years old. She's been at the home getting stable, secure for two years. So when people say there's no place to go, we have places do they want to go. And here's what I'll say. If you have somebody, when, when we're sitting in front of that abortion facility saying, we can't afford it, and we're saying, we'll have, we have resources. Oh, you don't really care. No, no, no. No, no, no. We actually will help you. And so when they believed us, we've helped them. We've found people places to stay. We've paid for things for them. We've helped them through the pregnancy. We've helped them after the pregnancy. So when people try to say pro-lifers don't care, I think that how would they know we care if they're not there with us while we're trying to reach out and help? I mean, I, don't th I think maybe there's a lot of people that just say, keep the baby. It's the right thing to keep the baby. And that's all they do. But if you're really strong in the pro-life movement, like I am and others that walk alongside me, they're doing a lot to try to help women because it isn't just about the baby. If we don't have a healthy mother, then we can't expect her to raise her child in a healthy way. So what we're doing is providing resources and counseling and help. That's what Mary's Pregnancy Resource Center does. It provides after the pregnancy is completed, they have all kinds of resources. And they continue on. So if the woman wants help, she can get it. Tawana, Tawana, um, can you let our listeners know where they can, like, who they can contact, how they can get in touch with this organization if they're here in Florida and they find themselves in that situation? Is there a website, a phone number? Well, I know I'm more familiar with the local, like Mary's Pregnancy Resource Center, which is in Fort Lauderdale, and they have a number. So that's a website they could go to, Mary's Pregnancy Resource Center. Okay. Um, we're, we're Broward Right to Life, so we have a website, and they could reach us through that website. Okay. Um, there, are, there is help available in each county. So if someone, like there's a, a Heartbeat of Miami, which is Miami, and they have five or six centers. So there's a Miami location that has many pregnancy resource centers available there. So if you let me know, like if you, if I get a connection through Broward Right to Life, they can send me an email or contact form, and then I can connect them to someone in a community-based location that will help okay. them through their pregnancy and really help them through their pregnancy. Well, great. Okay. Well, thank you, Tawana, because uh, that's, that's good information. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it, when you were speaking, it made me think about what my father had said to me back in college. And he said, you know, Missy, you know, he used to always call me Missy when he was mad at me. He's like, <laughs> you know, Missy, you're saying, you know, you just want to get an abortion. He's like, well, I'm not going to let you do that because when you play, you have to learn that you pay. So mm. if you're going to play, you're going to pay. And he's, you know, he was an Italian, you know, he's Italian mm. father. And 
That's what he told me. You play, you pay Missy, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it was, it was a slap in the face that I needed. And when he said that, um, I agreed with him. I said, you know what? You're right. And, and I have to learn how to take personal responsibility for my choices. Mm-hmm. And it's not okay to say, well, because of the way I was thinking about it was, well, I made a mistake. Let me just get an abortion and put it behind me and just, you know, move on and forget it ever happened. And my father was trying to say, no, you know, that's not the, the way to think about it. You know, you play, you pay and take responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Who says that to the man? I wonder. Well, and that's a, that's an important point that I think Cheryl made about the the men. I mean, when women are, I think it's over 45% of women are either pressured by their boyfriends or their, their family members or their friends to get an abortion. So a lot of times, I mean, we've seen women dragged in. We've seen women crying going in. We've seen the guys pushing them. We've had to separate the guys from the ladies because they, they don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to have to, I mean, some of them already have children. I mean, it's amazing when you see these guys tell you that they already have impregnated four, children, four women, five women, but these women are with them, right? These women are with them. They're choosing. I mean, one of the things about my guard your heart class that I try to teach is, okay, one of the things about what all we've all gone through, everybody can probably give an amen to this, whatever you're, whether unbeliever or believer, we've all gone through relationships that have left us deeply wounded. What, you know, starting with our families, with the dysfunction of them, but then men in our lives that used us, abused us, took advantage of us, right? So what we say to the women that come in the class that I teach is, yeah, you can solve your problems by an abortion or whatever you choose to do, but that does not heal the heart of the brokenness you've experienced from these unhealthy relationships. And those unhealthy relationships are reality in your life. And they only lead to more insecurity, more inadequacy, and more fear. So my thing is, these guys that come into your life and tell you how wonderful and beautiful you are, they're moving in just like they moved in with other women. I mean, I I recently saw within the past week, Planned Parenthood celebrated the new year with giving you like a four-point kind of thing to go through, know the person you're with. Um, you know, just you know, make sure you have protection and then let the sparks fly. And I'm like, what, what? I mean, how many people are having sex with people that have diseases that have problems? I mean, they're not telling you to vet them. They're not telling, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell everybody. We vet people that we are considering dating because we don't know, you can't tell a book by its cover. And when you see somebody, they all act nice. We know that we've been deceived many times because we believed and trusted somebody and it wasn't a good thing for us. So my thing is we vet everybody, we don't trust anybody. And if you're considering abortion or if you're considering, yeah, abortion, make sure that you are, you know, knowing the person you're with, knowing the relationship you're in kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, I think um, we got a lot of information. Do you think we should continue or you want to end it here and have our final thoughts? What do you think, guys? Yeah, um, 
I think we could probably go around with some final thoughts unless there's a topic that we haven't addressed or a point that someone on the call wants to address that we haven't. I think one thing is that I, how do I put this into words? When we're talking about pro-choice and pro-life, I think a big distinction is both me and Cheryl, correct? Correct. Perfect. We're not pro-abortion in any way, shape, or form. Like, we're not, you know, sitting here arguing arguing that somebody should should have an abortion. (laughs) Like, we're not arguing that, you know, in any way, shape, or form, it's good for anybody necessarily. We're just saying that sometimes it's better than the alternative. For that particular person, given their particular situation, Michelle said earlier, every single person comes in with a different story. And a a lot of the times when we're sitting here talking about stories, we're talking about the ones that we see the most often. And when you do come from a pro-life position, you come from that same ideology. A lot of people you come in contact with end up switching over to a pro-life ideology. Same thing on our end. I have a very close friend that got an abortion about a year ago. She already had four children, mm. etc. the whole story. She is 24 years old. You know, they're all with the same father. The father ended up getting in prison. She was pregnant. She was going in to go get her tubes tied. And that's how she found out. So she, they asked her, like, this is the time that you need to decide. I also think it's a big distinction between what um, you were talking about with the surgical abortions versus the pill abortion. It's a different kind of abortion that usually doesn't carry as many risks. And from what I could find online during the call, um, those complications with surgical abortions happen less than, I think, 3% of the time. So it's a horrible thing to happen. Don't get me wrong, but it is a very small percentage still. Most women can still go on to have children again. You also have the ideology that a lot of people who have, that go into the abortion clinic to have an abortion they don't, even if it is anonymous, they're not going to always put down the correct reason. If there was an other option and I was there, I'd put down the other option because, or the it's my body option. Not because that's necessarily what's true, but because I don't want somebody else to know my exact reasoning in that moment. Because mm-hmm. there's not enough words to put into what somebody's going through. There is not just one box that sits there and checks, listen, I'm going to my mother can't have her um, mental illness pills when she is pregnant. She was the most difficult person to be around when she was pregnant. And it was horrible for her. She would cry every single day. Mother is a huge pro-life person though. And she loves her children no matter what. When she had me, she wasn't ready for children. She doesn't believe that to a T. She was not ready for children. My father has now had over 10 children with different women. I was his third. She didn't know what she was getting into at that point in time. There are so many different unique stories that you can't sit here and put a band-aid on all of them. And I don't think sitting there and having people say, you need to have this child because, you know, you did the deed, you need to have it. I don't think that's always going to be the best 
best approach for every single woman that walks in. Now, I don't believe in abortions past the first trimester either. So there are so many different gray areas in this. And unless we were able to cover all of those, I don't see how we can sit here and say it's the right option. You have to have the baby. Like, can you guys clarify that on me? Because I, I, even with all your stories, I still can't see how you can look at every single person with a different story and say, that's what's right for you. They can't say that with schools. They can't say that with where you live. They can't say that with any other part of our entire existence. Why is this different? Well said, Devin. I think that I want to make a comment about the Band-Aid. I don't think yeah. it's a Band-Aid. I think that I counsel too many women, myself included. It wasn't a Band-Aid. Um, I've gone through a lot of trauma and pain and PTSD and everything else in relation to my abortion. So, so let me clarify. I did not mean that getting abortion was a Band-Aid. That was a, my mistake on my wording. I do not believe abortion is any way, shape, or form a Band-Aid. I think it is a horrific and horrible experience for everybody involved. So right. that, that was 100% my mistake. I okay. meant saying that, you know, all these ideas we're talking about in order to stop it and make everybody more pro-life, I think a lot of them are just covering the surface and surface reasons. I don't think it's covering everything. Does that make more sense? Yeah, I think okay. that what we're saying is we believe it's a life. So, so really, we're, we're, we're trying to say to the woman who's in a crisis pregnancy and difficult situation that we want to do what we can. What can we do to help you? Can we provide for you? Can we get you counseling? Can we get you a place to stay? Can we find a family that would love the baby, keep an open adoption, allow you to see the child so you know? Most women don't even want to do that because they don't want to have somebody else take care of, of their child. But one of the things that I think is really important to know is that there's a lot of people that do research on post-abortion and, and it's almost like you never hear this information. You never hear that there's statistics and numbers of, of people that have been hurt and people that have suffered emotionally. So there's a woman, I think it's a Bowling Green. I can't remember what what uh, university she's affiliated with, but her name is Priscilla Coleman, and she's written a lot of uh, peer-related uh, reviews. Meaning, um, you know, they're they're going into medical journals. They're not they're not just biased documents and stuff like that. You know what I mean? They're they're literally vetted because these journals wouldn't post things that didn't have any kind of background, any kind of other statistics to support it. So there was a woman named. Uh, Dr. Major, who came out and said that Priscilla Coleman didn't know what she was talking about. She didn't know, and she kind of came from the position of uh, pro-abortion and said, there's no risk, generally very small, less than 1%. And, and Priscilla Coleman came back and said, well, wait a minute. And then she put in this just one-page article. She said, there's over 30 studies that have been published in just the last five years that add to the literature comprised of hundreds of studies published in major medical and psychological journal, journals throughout the world. So she came back and she said, wait a minute, I'm not quoting just 
1%. I'm actually telling you that there's actual studies of women who've had abortions that have been vetted that are showing that, like, here's some of the journals that she listed. One journal article is the relationship between induced, these are all negative, to abortion. The relationship between induced abortion and attitudes towards sexuality and sexual problems in a journal on sexual and relationship therapy. There's an article on predictors of anxiety and depression following pregnancy termination in an obstetric and gynecology journal. There's one on induced abortion and increased risk of substance abuse in the current Women's Health Review. And I mean, there's just this list. This is only one article. So when someone comes to me, that's what happened to me. My husband said, Tawana, women have been hurt by being injured in abortion. And I was like, no way. And he's like, yeah. And so when I did started doing the research, I, I came back like with Priscilla, Priscilla Coleman and I went, why didn't somebody tell me that in a study, 20% of women had problems and complications from a cervical, from cer cervical damage. So I'm not I'm, I'm making it up. I can yeah. actually go to journals and pull out these, you know, peer reviewed articles, literally that are not allowed to go into journals unless they're accurate and unless they have backup studies to support what they're saying. And when I found out that there were injuries and people died and there were problems in abortion, I was so mad because I felt like women were being told that there's nothing to it. It's not a big deal. And then the women come to me and they're hemorrhaging or the women come to me with perforated uteruses. The women come to me with all kinds of problems. And they're like, they didn't tell me, Tawana. They did not sit down with me prior to me having my abortion, just like I experienced. Prior to me having my abortion, sitting down with me and saying, okay, this release form that you're about to sign, okay, see what it says? It says perforated uterus, what does that mean? It says you could hemorrhage. What does that mean? And here's the other sad thing. I've had thousands of women tell me that the person that they talked to wasn't even a doctor. And there are states that have actually passed laws that tell, you know, it's, they're not even nurses. There are some facilities in the, some states that don't even require the woman to have a medical degree now. That's how, That sounds so back alley to me. I know. I know. I believe me. We have many pro-lifers in those states. I can't name what state it is, but it's there. Many people that are saying this is like, I mean, what are you doing? I mean, this is not healthy. This is not safe. But but there are people that feel like that's the kind of mindset. It's less than one percent. Nobody gets injured. It's an easy procedure. No big deal. Anybody can do it. See, that's the mindset. That's where it starts developing in people's minds to say, hey, let's fight for this right. I should be allowed to do that. I worked by him for 10 years. I see him do it every day. Why can't I do it? Well, and you're like, then there's nothing wrong with cleaning up, you know, just like every system we have, um, you know, is broken and sure. nothing wrong with, if, if that's true. I mean, I've never heard of any of that stuff, of course, but um, then let's clean it up. But, you know, pregnancy and childbirth is, is very risky. So it doesn't mean that don't have an abortion, go the pregnancy route, because that's going to be, you know, skipping in the, in the sun, you know. And I think the big thing that, like, both of us really feel is that pro-choice, it's just mean that we still want to fix the systems all the same. Like, I don't want somebody to have to be like, oh, I don't feel comfortable with the foster or the adoption, you know, process. Let me go get an abortion. 
I don't feel this, that, or the other, we go get an abortion. No, we want to fix that just as much. I think a big thing that what both sides want is they want better resources all around to every woman that's put in this predicament. But I don't think taking away that right is the right way to do it first. I think we fix all the systems surrounding this problem and then we tackle this. Like, like all of us probably agree that we, we would all love to reduce unwanted pregnancies. Okay. I mean, we all, everybody's in agreement with that. So but not even just unwanted pregnancies. You have, first of all, anybody that's performing any surgical, anything should be a doctor. Sure. Exactly. Like, and that's a equally a pro-choice pro-life ideology. Um, Women right. should be given access to every bit of material on what happens in an abortion, pro and con, before having one. That is both sides of the coin. Like, I'm not against that. I think it's hard for women when they're pregnant and they're thinking about it and they're not, like, even the idea as a pro-choicer to have an abortion is petrifying to me. It's not saying that I would or wouldn't get one. It's saying that it's a very, like, tedious and tackling and taxing mental ideology for anybody. And I think that a big thing is that when we're fighting, whether it's pro-choice or pro-life, we're not tackling these issues. I mean, I do want to say, let me stop there. What we're talking about with giving women, you know, um, maternal houses, the ability to have open adoptions, I think that is what we need to be focusing on. I think that is the best way to get and start changing mindsets around it but given the systems in check now the laws in place now the society that we are in right now i don't see how taking away the right for somebody to terminate a pregnancy early on is the best way to deal with it i i think in my opinion i think that um we need more guard your heart uh, education uh, for young kids because yeah. um, and shut the TV because you watch friends and they're having sex out of marriage that to pro- to solve the problem stop having sex out of marriage it's it's right. ridiculous it's like and then then you guys play not you I'm saying people play they're gonna pay but who's paying the unborn child is paying you know I understand you know everything that you're you're all saying what's going on you know with the programs you need and everything, but if there was more education in these kids that they know, you know, I know you guys aren't believers, but I'm trying, you know, not to really go back to the Bible, but you go back to what God is saying, don't have sex with that, with, with just anybody have, that's why it's married. You get, you get married, you're with somebody you love, you, you, that's how you have kids. You don't just sleep around with people and then, and then blame everybody else. And then, you know, that we're in this big situation. Just don't have sex. Just like Stephanie's dad said, you play, you pay. You got to pay the consequences. Michelle, that's all lovely. Asking. But to ask, to ask society to, to be abstinence is just, it's just well, foolish. It's, well, it's then, not going to happen. I mean, well, then that's- I'm not that saying right or wrong. Problem. I'm saying it's no, foolish no, I know, to, but think, I, to ask that, that it's going to happen. It, abstinence only states actually have the highest pregnancies because they're uneducated. Well, that's the price to put. Get, let's get educated. Let Tawana. But like, I mean, the education educate. can't be abstinence. The education well, has to be protection. Well, it should, wait be, a it second. should be protection. I mean, we have the numbers of abortions coming down. 
we have in what was it 2008 it was 1.25 or something like I that. I can't hear now anybody. Are you there? Oh, now I hear you. Okay. Okay. Um, the the numbers in 2008 was 1.25 million abortions and now we're at what 862,000. So obviously education and information is getting out there because it's changing people's minds. And yeah. people and that's the numbers it. Of, that's that should be the key. The key is education. Right. Teach the kids right. to not to well, you know look at what's going on. Like I said, every movie, every TV show, all these young kids, my kid is 19 years old. I watch some of the shows she she loves. She, that I forgot what it's called, it's like that comic that that Archie, whatever it is. I mean, come on, They're, who's sleeping with who? And it's like nothing, you know. And that's the thing. It's like it's it's saturating so much. I don't remember it, me as a kid watching shows like that. So steamy. Everything is around sex, and we right. need to educate the young kids at a very young age. And I'm not saying maybe not abstinence. I mean that that yeah, that would be perfect. You know that that would be you know teach people. You know when you get married, you you have sex. Don't have sex out of marriage don't just have sex with anybody you want i mean it's it has to start with your family it has to start with education and and that's it and we're in a big mess today you know it, it because of lack of parenting lack of education and that's why we're in the mess we're in now and who's paying for it these poor little babies that are in these people's bodies it's it's sad it's real you got to watch that movie Un unplanned was it unplanned Right. Yes. It's the saddest thing ever. I look. I've been. I've. I've always been like, oh, women, women's lib. You know, pro-choice. My body. I want to do what I. You know, I always felt that way up until I saw that movie. Up until probably within this year, I, I didn't really have an opinion. I just, to me, it just never really crossed my mind. It was just not a thing on my radar. But after watching this movie, I, it just wow. It's very eye-opening, and it's really. Yeah. It's just sad. It's. It's. You know, I don't. My my closing thoughts is: you play, you pay, and and these poor kids are paying, and it's not it's not not right. Just education. That that's my my closing thoughts. Yeah, and I I think listening to all the great points that everyone's bringing up is there is a lot that we agree on, and I think we like I think Devon uh, Devin said that um, you know we all agree that you know, getting an abortion is, is not the answer. And it's, it's not a great experience for the woman involved. And I think we agree on that. Um, I think we agree that some of the, the systems around abortion and the, and the helpful resources um, could be, there could be more focus there, more focus, like you said, Michelle, on education. I think we agree on that. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when we all have choices in our life, every single day we make choices about many different things and getting an abortion or not getting an abortion is a choice. Having sex before we're married is a choice. And I think we have to all have a level of some self-responsibility and realize that when we make choices, there are consequences. And sometimes those are great consequences and sometimes they're not. And I think that hopefully that, that this conversation can leave people with are some really great pieces of information, maybe an increased awareness that maybe they didn't have before. I know I personally learned a lot from all of you uh, just being a part of this um, episode. And right. I think that hopefully it'll get people to think uh, individually, because at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our choices. I don't think any mm -hmm. of us disagree with that. Um, 
And, you know, someone, I think, Tawana, you said, you know, we're all accountable for what we know. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are going to be held accountable. Now, as believers, we believe that um, there is a judgment coming and that we do have to stand before a, a holy God and give, give an account for ourselves. But, um, you know, aside from that, we can all agree that we all have choices and those choices have consequences. And I think for my final thought, I would just tell people really, really think about the choice you're making um, all the way back to should I, should I be engaging in sex with this person? Like start there. Uh, have respect for yourself. Know who you are. Um, know know the consequences of those choices. And if you're willing to live with whatever those those consequences are, well, fine, because you're the one that's going to have to answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and no no one person can tell another person what they should and shouldn't do. And I don't think any of us on this call are doing that. I think because we love other people, we're trying to just create more awareness, more education, more of a conversation and a dialogue about things related to abortion that probably people are not talking about out there. Again, like I said, I've learned a lot just listening to everyone share. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners out there who also have learned a lot. And hopefully at the end of the day, if someone out there is struggling with this decision, uh, that they will take advantage of some of these resources and they would really think about what they're doing and the consequences before they make that choice. So I would say that would be my final thought. Well said, Stephanie. I ditto. You said it clearer um, than me, but yes, I agree with everything you said. Well then uh, as the unbeliever of the group, I and the pro-choice person of the group. um, I, would I guess just I mean I agree with a lot of things that you're saying, but I did I did feel a, a strong sense of that you know if you pay you if you play you pay, and I feel that I do feel like that's a, such a negative message to girls um, because nobody says that to boys and um, well doesn't everybody pay even if it's emotionally I mean, maybe I'm, I'm just saying men, men have the choice to walk away. No one, there's no laws forcing them to be a father. Yeah. But and, Cheryl, they pay too, because maybe that might have been the last child they'll ever have a chance to have, mm-hmm. you know, to say that like the word pay. And again, that was my father's uh, way of phrasing it. I don't know that I would necessarily use that phraseology, but I mean, it drives the point home of personal responsibility. Yeah. And would it be the last child a man could ever have? But you don't know that. He can impregnate. Really don't know that. And I mean, um, you know, again, the, 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 every choice we have has consequences. And again, at the end of the day, if a person is okay living with those consequences, that's on them. But to, to, to be naive, but that's what, but for someone to be naive and want to, and want to say, well, my choice has no consequence and they lack the ability to take personal ownership for that. I, th- I think they're doing themselves a disservice. Right. Cause no, why that, would that's, you, that's, why that's would not what I'm talking about. Sleep, but why would a person want to sleep with a guy like that? Wouldn't before you go to bed with that person, wouldn't you kind of know? Okay. Him? Let's, let's back up a little bit. Abortion isn't just teenage girls who had sex with a strange guy. Okay. <laughs> Abortion happens in thousands and thousands and thousands of other types of circumstances that could that were unforeseen and that were as legit as possible okay so i just want to make that clear yeah but cheryl i think in medical emergency situations i think we all agree that the doctors and the people involved will make the best choice and even if that means to terminate the child 
you know, in the less than 1% cases of that, then the best decision will be made. But I think what, sure. what we're addressing are like the majority that, uh, that what I was hearing to want to Tawana talk about was that staggering number in the very beginning when she kind of gave us those numbers that the majority of women choosing abortion mm -hmm. are doing it Election, they're electing that right or selfish reasons, right? Right. When we look, when we look at the statistics of it, um, you know, we're not talking about like, or at least my father was not referring to, um, you know, you play, you pay as meaning, okay, you're gonna die, Stephanie, if you don't have this abortion. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about because I made the choice to have sex out of marriage with someone that I may or may not have continued a relationship with. And now I just want to get rid of my bad choice. That's not the right, that's not the way to take personal responsibility. Right. And that was the lesson my father was teaching me. And I hope other people can learn that lesson too. Right. And that's, that's exactly where I would. Um, just adding that it took, it took the man to impregnate, impregnate you as well. And he has, he has a choice to walk away. Well, either I think way, either way, my my closing statement about the whole thing is is it, it's sad. It's a sad situation all around. No woman should have to be faced with it. It's a horrible decision for all of us. Um, but society as a whole, I, I I try to look at this thing as a, as a collective, you know, from 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 the beginning to end. And just giving birth is really. Uh, there's so much more to raising a child than that, and if 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 this if society does not support if society doesn't support society in any way, that that's it's just going to make our choice more difficult. So I would hope that society moves in a way that allows women to have more flexibility and more support so that they do want to give birth to their children. Why should society have to pay for somebody? I didn't say society has to pay. So you're saying society needs to do things. It needs to be, it needs to be in a supportive structure. Okay. If I have a job that, that my, that my boss won't give me any time off and I have to come back to work the day after my birth uh, and I have no health care. I'm talking about a structure that, that allows me to be a successful parent. That's, that's all I'm talking about. I'm not talking about handouts. Right. Well, I know there are, I don't know what jobs are like that. I mean, I know my sister-in-law, she works at a job. She had her three months and everything. She had every, everything was paid for. She had a baby. And yeah. She so had, as a hairdresser though, it depends on what company you work for. As hairdressers as a whole, though, even because we did bring the I do Stephanie's hair, we don't have maternity leave. Every single hairdresser I've ever been around that had a child was back within two and a half to three weeks. So in that way, they can make money. There are so many jobs that you cannot take a full maternity leave. If I were to take three months off, I would lose my entire clientele within two weeks. It's not black and white. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that I appreciate what Cheryl, what uh, Michelle said is that there's this idea that we can go out. I mean, obviously, I want to say that I'm involved in a church where I do a lot of counseling and teaching and mentoring, and, and I really want to help women, and I really want to encourage women, but there's this idea that I can live the way I want to, 
and I can make the decisions I want to. And if it burdens society by me being a single parent and me having to now be on welfare or food stamps or whatever the case may be, then I'm sorry, but I was allowed to live. And I'm not, let's not talk about the extenuating circumstances. Let's talk about just, let's put them off the table and say, okay, let's give all those people whatever they need, whatever it is, whatever it is. But let's just talk about the ones that really can have children, that really can do it. And now we're telling society that we are supposed to pay for those people mm -hmm. and all the things that they need because why? Well, you know what? They are a member of society. And we're like, well, wait a minute. What about your family? What about your church? What about the guy? Well, I don't want to be involved with the guy. And I think, you know, one of the things the church says is we want to come alongside and not condemn and not criticize. We want to help the person that's in that situation but we also have to make sure she's taking responsibility and doing what she needs to do to get out of the situation and to make her life better. But I don't believe that the attitude that we need, I mean, I agree we're in a situation where they need programs and there are a lot of programs. I mean, there are a lot of programs available. I'd have to, because every state's different and a lot of states do have programs. I'd have to do the research to, that might be another good show. Um, but the fact that, these people are getting, you know, they're, they're in a relationship and now you have to say, we need to talk about this. And let me say, I counsel a lot of women. They don't want to be told that they shouldn't stay with their boyfriends, even the abusive ones. I mean, they get to a point where they're ready to break free, but there's a lot of times that they don't even want to be told that they're doing something wrong or they don't even want to be told that they're in an unhealthy relationship and they stay with the abusive guy until sometimes, sadly, they get very, very hurt by it. But the fact that we have a place in society where, like Michelle was saying, how great is that? I come in and I teach, right, in the public schools. When I speak in the public schools, I can't talk about God. I can't talk about abstinence. I have to talk about it in a way that's healthy, focuses on identity, focuses on relationships, but gives them options. So now they have a pregnancy program that goes into the public schools in our county. This is legit. You can look it up. I can't remember the name of the program, but they teach you how to put the condoms on. They teach you how to, to do all these things. So my thing is, you know, you don't see a commercial on TV that talks about, and you can Google this on the Center for Disease Control. There's over 50 million people that have herpes. Well, people would say you can live with herpes. Yeah, sure you can. But I have to tell you that I've talked to and counseled many women that have experienced HPV and HIV and herpes from the person that they didn't know because you don't get a, um, a test the first week usually and you don't plan on having the sex at the time that you do. And if you saw a commercial of a woman waking up one morning with blisters on, you know what I mean, or private parts. And she goes to the doctor and finds out that now she's going to have these outbreaks and she needs to be on Valtrex or something else. If you saw commercials like that, let me just say, you'd probably see a decline in sex. Because I have to tell you, if I saw something like that, just like a commercial on a woman like me, not being able to go on and have more children, and that was a reality for me, well, there'd be people that looked at that, that commercial and went, oh my gosh, I'm going to have an abortion tomorrow. I really want children. Oh my gosh. I you mean you can actually get injured? Oh, but see, all we hear is one side. Have sex, have fun, don't worry about it. We'll all take care of your problem as we walk along. It'll work out. No, it won't work out. Pregnancy is at its high, well, not at its high, it's, it is declining, but it's still high. Sexually transmitted diseases is still at an epidemic proportion. 
Broward County seeing an increase in syphilis and gonorrhea, at least it was last year. There's still an increase in HIV. All of these things come and someone says, well, as long as I use a condom. No, condoms only cover, you know, you're talking about um, bacterial and fluid transmission. You're not talking about skin to skin like HPV and herpes. Those are skin to skin diseases. Those are other kinds of diseases. So when you talk about education, Michelle, you're doing a great job because we don't even talk about herpes in school, right? Shouldn't we, with 50 million people age 12 and up, getting them? Unbelievable. Shouldn't that be so on the, like, that actually on is the agenda? In school. I went through the Palm Beach County public school system and I was taught about every STD along with abstinence, along with condoms, along with what can be transmitted and when. So at least in Palm Beach County, they do have education on that and you are properly taught about how to avoid every disease if you can and when you can't to be very mindful about it and to have the talk before you ever sleep with anybody from the Palm Beach County School District. Well, I have to say in Broward, it isn't the case because I work with individuals who are working with a group that is trying to find out about the textbooks and the text that's inside the, the different schools in the middle and high school level. And it isn't descriptive and it isn't in detail. And abstinence isn't, there's a paragraph on abstinence. It isn't explained in detail. There's a lot that isn't there. They don't, you know, they go into detail about some things, but I have to say, I have a lot of parents that come back to me and the things that are in some of the textbooks is very graphic. And there's a lot of things that the parents are saying, is my child ready for this? So I think that, you know what, all I, my point is that then if you're a parent, you make sure that you go into that school, look at the textbook and make sure you, you see that they have an adequate, responsible, good form of education for STDs, pregnancy, but now here's the clicker, no abortion is mentioned, because I know, doing the research in the state of Florida, you do not hear the word abortion. Remember, the National Education Association promotes abortion. The Broward Teachers Union and the Teachers Union in our state touts abortion. So we're not, they're not going to be very open to me coming in and presenting the pro-life side. In fact, there might be a lot of people that would literally look at me as the enemy because I'm trying to see, instead of having this civil discussion like I'm having with you, they would look at me as an enemy who's trying to take their rights away instead of understanding that I've come from a background of being hurt and wounded and I'm trying to educate and inform and I can't, I'm not trying to take your rights away. I'm just trying to help you understand you're responsible for your own rights. But I'm, I'm saying that there's a lot of liberalism in our system, and it doesn't bring our side out. Just like you see on TV. You turn on the TV, you're not going to see anything about pro-life. No. Nowhere. Nowhere. Mm -mm. We're labeled. You know, they'll, they'll even bring up, you know, there was, an, there, were, there was an attack. And I'm always curious to find out, who, I mean, never is violence ever an option for anything, right? Love your neighbor and your enemy right. ever. But I have to find out, you know, when this guy comes to me and he's so angry, one guy came to, to, to us several months ago and he was like, you know, she's going to kill my, she, you know, it's a baby kind of, she, he has the same passion that Michelle has when she's talking. He said, she's going to kill my baby and I don't have an option and, and she's going to go do it. She's made the appointment and she doesn't care what I say. So he went to 
her work and made a sign. And I mean, I wouldn't recommend this, right? I'm not recommending this ever. You know, is this going to help the situation? But he had all kinds of stuff on the sign. He was so angry. And so when I, when I hear people that say they got angry and they did crazy things, I'm like, first, they're unstable to begin with. But why did they do what they did? Why? I mean, we always want to know why someone does something wrong, right? If there's somebody dies, what was the reason that the person did that? Why was the reason that the person was motivated? I mean, there's all, there's the psychological. Everybody wants to have an understanding of what would make somebody, like when somebody kills people, why would they do that? But I think when it comes to abortion, there's been such a, um, such a kind of a brainwashing, not saying that Cheryl, you and, and Devin are brainwashed, but in our society to where people are just waking up going, and the younger generation is coming up right after them going, you know what, it's just not a good time. I mean, think about the ones that are coming up after us saying, it's not the right time. You don't want to have your life change. You don't want something bad, you know, happen in your life. This isn't a good time. And, and the next generation is more liberal than us. Like we're seeing generation after generation after generation. So the value of life is not being, to me, promoted enough. Mm -hmm. I think it should be both sides clearly having, like we're doing right now, the side that presents the pro-abortion side very clearly, and then bring me up to share this side with my information, let it go where it goes. But most people on the liberal side would not let this conversation happen publicly. Mm -hmm. Right. Just to clarify, just a reminder: it's pro-choice, not pro-abortion. Yeah. It's a very well, big difference. We have to say that when we look at someone and we say you're pro, uh, you're pro-choice. We say that to the, all the women that came, including myself, that didn't get any information, that was brainwashed into thinking it was a good thing to do. I really didn't have a choice. I wanted it initially. I didn't have a choice. I have women that tell me that they, their parents have told them they're going to get kicked out. Their boyfriend's going to break up with them. I don't think that's a viable choice. And I think that when you say that you're pro-choice and yet this is abortion that you're talking about, but you don't want to say pro-abortion because you don't want to say, you know, you know, it's bad, you know, it's bad. So you don't want to call it pro-abortion, but you're pro-abortion because if I say, you know, don't have an abortion, you're going to say, no, a woman has a right to an abortion. So you're pro-abortion, but no, I don't. Pro-abortion would mean I want to go out and get one. Like, like it, like it's a good thing. No one thinks it's, it's not a just good for you. Thing. They just want it as an option. Pro-abortion is. They have is, 10 options in front of them and they want that to be one. But pro-abortion is I'm going to encourage that woman. If she's at the, like me, I'm at the abortion facility saying, let me talk to you about my circumstances. Let me give you resources. We have a place for you to stay. You're saying to her, you don't want that baby? You have the abortion. You don't want that baby? Don't let anybody influence you. You go and do what you feel led to do. It's your body and your right. That's pro-abortion. Yeah, that is But we're not saying that. We're saying we want there to be options. We're saying we want people to go to them and say, we have options for you. But we also want them to have the ability to say, for whatever the reason may be, I can't use them. I don't know how I can do it with them. I'm still not secure feeling. Well, that's probably They still have that. Okay, then. Then in that case, if that's you, how you're going to label that, that's your choice. Well, I'm not going to take not, away anybody's choice. 
No, I know, but I'm saying Pete, that's what that's what we're trying to say. Anybody who's pro-choice is pro-abortion because right, because they believe in abortion. Choice, because and this is where I keep going back to the same the same argument before is with the dumpster. It's like you're uh, you're giving somebody a, 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 the ability to murder. That's the bottom line. You're saying, you know what? You have the choice to abort that baby. That's your choice if you want to do it. So, but you're not going to get arrested for it. But I don't want, let's say I give birth to the baby. I don't want that baby anymore. I should have the, why is, where's my choice to say that I want to put that baby in the dumpster? It's to say, to me, you have a choice to thing. give it to the hospital, to right, give it but to that, the, but that's the And that's the same thing with the baby in the person's body. You're still, it's murder is murder, whether it's in the body or out of the body. That's my bottom line. It's it, to me, I'm passionate about that. You're, you're saying that it's okay. You're giving that woman a choice to murder. And that's just because of circumstances. So I can't afford a baby. I can't, I don't have money. I don't have, a, my, my boyfriend left me. I don't have the ability. I don't want to give it up for adoption. I don't want to give it, you know, because these are my choices. I have all these choices. But the choice I want to make is I want to put that baby in the dumpster because it's my choice. It's my baby, my choice. I just killed that baby. Okay, so now okay, I'm going to get arrested we're going, for it. We're going off on a tangent here. Yeah, it's we're not, not talking about... We're, exactly. we're not talking about something that's already on the books as no. murder. Yeah, but, you, but that's what it is. It's murder is murder. You're killing a baby. It's murder to you. People who approach the state of law, by most people's opinion, it is not yet murder. It is not murder until it's it is murder. taken out of your body. There's a, baby, and, there's a baby in my belly and I'm killing it. It's being sucked out of my belly. So it's how come, Michelle, how come if you were dying, clock. right? If you were dying and I had the organ that you need... I don't have to give it to you. Right. You don't have to give it to me. And no. you're allowed to die. Like, how come I, I'm not forced to give you that organ that would save you? Okay, but that, that's... A because we have bodily thing. autonomy. I, no, we're talking about... No, it's, it's different. It's a totally different thing. We're talking about be, uh, babies who are helpless. You're give, I, I've at least lived my life. You're I, helpless. I, I, I came... I, I lived my life. And if I, and if I'm going to die because I don't have a kidney, well, I, I, you know, okay, I live my life. You, we're not giving these babies that are in our womb a choice to live, to breathe, to, to succeed, to do anything in life. If an we're infant needed, if, if your infant needed my liver, I could say no. And your infant dies. Then you know what? That's in God's hands. I go back to God. It's, it's in his hands. And he says, do not murder. I'm not going to murder. You know, if the Lord says my kid, you know, needs a liver and they can't get the liver, I'm going to pray. And if, the, if, the, if we get a liver, that's a miracle. If we don't get a liver, then that baby is. But Michelle, 30, 30 years ago, you were, you were going to opt for an abortion. You, so now, now that you're an adult no, and you're I mature was and you know I, more. Because I was 18 years old. No one educated me. And this I understand. And education is still important. But right. you had the choice. You know, at, I was a young kid, didn't have, I didn't have, um, thank God I wasn't pregnant, but yeah, that, I don't know if I actually would have went through with it, but I know my fear of my father of, of him killing me. Cause he literally would have killed me and the person <laughs> we all would have been dead, but, and, and I'm serious. My dad would have killed my dad. And there's millions and millions of girls right now carrying that same exact fear. Right. And I get that, but that's where Tawana is saying that there are, 
you know, I don't even know if there was an option back then for me to go someplace. When I walked into that abortion clinic, where's the education for men? When I went into that clinic, it was, it was disgusting. It was cold. It was the ladies there were mean. They didn't even look at me. They didn't even talk to me. It was dis. I felt like a, like a number. I felt dirty and disgusting. Now, if I had somebody out there you know, like Tawana and the people that are out there saying, look, you know, we'll help you. We'll, we'll protect you. We'll, you know, that that's what people need. That's what these young kids need, you know? And all I'm saying is the bottom line is people who say that they're pro-choice is meaning that you're, you're giving them the choice to murder. And, and I'm, I'm seeing it as one whole, the same thing as if the baby was outside my body or the baby's inside the body. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, you know, look, it's murder. And God says, do not murder. And when I die, you know, I have to answer to the Lord. So I, I you know, then anyway, I'm, I'm just ending it. Anyway, there. so then. All, perfect. Getting, yeah. Well, and Michelle, I want to, I want to say that I understand what you're saying because we believe in that life. It's not a blob. It's not a mass. And when we hear all the conversations going on, it's about our circumstances. I mean, we haven't even talked about fetal abnormalities and those real difficult pregnancies and stuff like that. We're really talking about circumstances and our choice to decide what we want to do with them. And then we have people on my end and Michelle and others who've grown in their walk and understand the life in the womb and the development of the unborn baby and that it's not a blob. So it's a member of the human race that if you allow it to go full term, will have a name will have an identity is your child if you let that child live. So, so we're saying because we know that if you let the baby go to term, you're going to have a life. We say if it's before the pregnancy birth, it's still a life. It's just at different stages of development. Not that it's not a baby. I mean, you know, when I am at classes, one of the things I'll ask the, the kids is, all right, how many of you when a woman walks into the room and says she's pregnant, what do you say to them? Well, what do they say? You're, Congratulations. You're, you're, yeah, you're carrying a, a fetus. Uh, how far along are you? It's still a blob. No, never that. They always are like, we say congratulations. Congratulations, why? Because, because they're she's having, excited about it. That's a mm. baby. But see, here's the thing. It's all about the way you feel. So what we're telling people is it still a life, but you don't want it. That's your choice because you live in America. It's still a life. It's still a life. So that's why pa- Michelle is getting passionate because she's saying, but you're taking the life. Why is it two months before birth, it's not a baby and she can abort it because it is legal all the way up to nine months for the health reason. But if she does it afterwards, there's going to be some states that will arrest her or it's not, it's, it really isn't arresting for, for um, that happening. They, they don't do that because they're trying to understand that. The well, they frown on you. You make the news. You make, you make the news. Right. Like, well, I mean, you know, you're obviously a horrible woman. That woman's horrible. What a disgusting yeah, sure, woman. She, sure, should be she should be killed. Sure. sure. <laughs> There's a lot of negative, but I think, you know, and the other thing is we all have things in our life that we faced I come from a dysfunctional family. I don't know how many of you do. Oh, but me, big, had, big time with me. I know I wasn't wanted at birth. I'm so I'm lucky I'm sitting here because right? people <laughs> boarded me too. I'm 11 months apart. Right. From 
right? So if we if we had time, if we had a if we had a discussion on dysfunctional homes, I'm sure it would be an interesting one because we could all go back to feeling rejected and none unwanted. of us would be here, right? Because <laughs> you know what, yeah. right? But, but we're all thankful that we are, and we've all gone mm -hmm. through that journey of life, right. and it hasn't been an easy one. And some of us will make it, and some of us won't. But I really believe that every person that's created has a purpose. It, it's not, I believe in God's book, it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence. We, we believe in karma, we believe that what goes around comes around, but when it comes to, you know, like many of you have said, there's consequences for our actions. If you wake up one day and, and you can't have children anymore, I hope you can live with that. If you wake up one day and find out you have herpes from this unhealthy relationship, I hope you can live with that. But I have to tell you, counseling so many women, that there's so many people that didn't really understand the risks and complications that they weren't thinking about that before they went in. I mean, one of the things when I talk to women and give them my testimony and say I was injured, there are some that have left the abortion facility. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not exaggerating because they had, they, they didn't, someone told me it was safe, no risk. I'm like, well, let me just share with you. I was hurt. And then they're saying, well, like under 1%. I'm like, well, if you look at the statistics, it gets higher, the higher the, the, you know, the, the, procedure of the development like if it's six months it's one in I think it's 12,000 uh, that die from complications of, of abortion so it gets much higher as the procedures go higher so but you know just like I shared earlier the Priscilla Coleman study if, if, if you sat down and read these studies on 200 women being being surveyed uh, after an abortion or 500 women being surveyed and finding that 30% struggled with, with depression and more, you know, um, were suicidal, you had suicidal thoughts. I mean, there was a, um, there was a case in, was it 10 years ago? Maybe not even that long. It was a, um, a police officer in plantation and she didn't want the abortion. So her boyfriend pressured her. I think he was a police officer. So she went bonkers. So she went over to her house. I hate to say it like that. I remember I have to be on, I have to remember I'm on tape. Um, she went, she went crazy and she went over to his house and, you know, they were locking the doors. His friend was there. She shot through the sliding glass door. She, you know, said to the friend that was taking off because she was armed, the friend was taking off and, and the police officer, the woman said, did he tell you? that he told me to kill my baby? Did he tell you what he told me to do? And she killed her boyfriend and then she killed himself, herself. She killed herself. So, so when that article came out in the Sun Sentinel, it was a small article and you never heard anything else about it. Now, let me just say in comparison, let's say that was a, somebody had did something crazy in an abortion facility. How long would it be talked about? For a very long time. People still talk to me about things that happened 15 years ago. And I'm like, no, I can give you women that have been hurt and killed from abortion within the past two years. And they're like, you know, it's, it's bad if, if, you know, somebody does something on the pro-life side, but if somebody gets injured on the pro-abortion side, it's, it's all for the sake of a woman's right. But a lot of women don't even know there's risks. They don't even know women are being injured. They don't even know the complications that can arise after the abortion. They have no idea. They, they're, they're in a state where they got pregnant. They weren't thinking about it before. They're panicking now. They've, they've hit a solution button and abortion pops up.
and that's what they think will solve it. They aren't thinking about long-term consequences. Will they have children again? Um, are, is there going to be complications when I'm in the, doing, during the procedure? Are there any complications? Have I talked to the doctor? I mean, when, I, when I'm at the abortion facility and they come out, I'll say, did you talk? One of, the, one of the things I say to a lot of them, did you talk to a doctor? And they'll say no. And I'll say, why not? They'll say, because he wasn't available. I'm like, right. He comes in. There's 10 abortions on Saturday. He goes in and out of rooms. He's gone in an hour. And if you don't believe me, come visit us on Oakland Park Boulevard near Andrews Avenue. He comes in at 10 o'clock and leaves by 11. How can he leave by 11 and have six to 10 abortions to do? I'll tell you why. Because it's a 10 or 15 minute procedure and he goes in and out. And these women are put under, many of them, they're still sur surgical abortions. Medical abortions are still not the commonplace. Although that's another whole nother discussion but because there's complications too to the well, medical I procedure i think we uh the, the pills i think that we went uh we we're, there's a lot very good 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 conversation we had very good yeah for sure yeah, and, and I just want to real quick. I know we're gonna end now, but I just want to say real quick um, because I know um, Cheryl said something before about when I was, you know, eighteen and how I would have, um, you know, had the abortion if I had that that you know if I got pregnant, you know, because I was so scared out of fear. But I also I, I also wasn't educated where I thought it was a blob for up for the longest time. I thought it was wasn't because you know, that's what I was taught as far as you know listening to other kids saying you know oh there it's nothing it's just cells it's not a baby it's, it's just nothing it, it's not human you know so that's that's where my mindset was and and anyway so now that i've got educated and like we're doing now where tomorrow is giving a lot of information where you know i, I see now that's why my eyes were open because i'm like wow that's for many years i mean I'm, I'm 53 years old and i've only just changed you know, so I'm talking about 52 years of thinking that it's not a human being. You know, it's it's just blobs. So. My miscarriage was a blob. Yeah. Well, my miscarriage was a blob, but I don't know if that has to do with because of it, because it had genetic abnormalities. Maybe right. it wasn't forming. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that's the thing. It's like when, when it's ready to, if it's not, you know, like stuff like that, you know, if it's, you know, something that's genetic and the baby dies that way, it's, that's natural, a natural death. It's not, you know, choosing to go in and anyways, but yeah, so let's just end it. I think this is. Yeah. Well, I just want to make sure, um, Devin, did you have any final thoughts? Cause I don't know that you shared your final thoughts. I mean, my final thoughts are that both sides feel very heavily about it. Of course, like mm -hmm. you said, it is life, but we're surrounded by life that we destroy every single day, unfortunately. And until we, honestly sit there and try to fix the world around it there's not going to be a right answer i'm not saying that i'm on the right side and i'm not saying that you're on the right side i am saying that when we try to demonize the other side though it's not doing anybody any good we both believe the same things like there is no part of this where either of us have actually sat here and argued what's correct and incorrect like we all believe the same thing at the end of the day, it's how we see what is right for the entire, well, in this particular instance, country or world around us. I believe that's so much bigger than what we personally believe. I think that people should be given the education. I believe that people should be given the opportunity to hear their heartbeat and see the face. I think they should talk to doctors. 
I think that they should predominantly be performed by gynecologists that are medically able to do that. I believe that, you know, women in that situation should be given or should have access to the mental health that's going to inevitably end up coming from that. And I don't ever try to demonize the pro-life side because I totally get it. It's a life, point blank. And I think because I was raised Catholic, I believe that a God, whichever God that may or may not be to that particular person, has given us all free will. And with that free will, we do the best that we can, but we're all human. And we give it, we are all given that judgment. And we have to have that judgment regardless of our life's situation. And I don't believe that any human has the right to tell another human how to live their life unless it takes away from a person who is completely and totally independent and of age. In other words, we don't talk negatively about parents who put their kids on timeout for an hour at a time. Like it, sometimes kids need it. It's discipline. Um, But you wouldn't tell an adult to do that because that's not right. You can't tell an adult to do that. And I think that at the end of the day, it's going to be the same idea. We're not saying it's right or wrong. We're just saying until the certain situations come about that we can actually sit here and say the best choice for everybody involved is pro-life, I won't believe it. And back to the example about putting the baby in the dumpster, I was trying to figure out words to put in why I believe it's so different. And I think it's because you can't up and mind you, I'm very pro-choice up until the, up through the first trimester. After that, I don't personally have enough experience or thought process to really be able to fully distinguish it on a total level. I believe that at that particular point in time, it's situational and goes case by case. Mm-hmm. So that's why I only talk oh. about the first trimester. Now, I'm not talking about what's legal and illegal, I'm talking about what my personal belief is. So in that first trimester, you can't go into a woman's body, take out the cells, and put it into another woman or another system that can care for the baby until it's viable. And I think that's the biggest separation is that you can take a fully formed baby, bring it to the hospital. You can remove a uh, third most, I want to say it's 29 weeks and up, you can remove a baby through C-section and it can have a potential life outside of the mother's womb. Like, and I think that's where my biggest distinction comes from is can the baby survive on its own? And if so, I don't believe abortion is an option Mm. because then it can survive until that can happen at the first trimester. I, I just, I don't understand how it's my right to take away somebody else's choices. Well, thank you, Devin. Um, Some great questions. And I think if there's one thing that I hear from all of us, that is awareness and education. And I think that's really what the point of this episode is about, is to round out the conversation around abortion. And I think, Tawana, you had mentioned the word one-sided. And um, that's what really this entire podcast is all about, is taking socially relevant topics and rounding out the conversation for people who may not have heard the opposing side, whether it's um, one side or the other, you know, because 
we all have our own families and networks and friends and you know not everybody has a diverse network so hopefully this episode has has rounded out that conversation for a lot of people um i would like to leave um our listeners with a, a website um it's called preborn.org preborn.org and uh they are a nonprofit uh organization charity and they help women um, afford ultrasounds, diapers, resources. Um, I know my husband and I donate to them. And um, for people that are out there who want to start helping, uh, maybe you're someone who's not facing a decision to get an abortion or not, but maybe you're just someone who wants to participate in the thing that we're all saying here is, you know, build that education, uh, give women more of an understanding and an awareness about the choices that that are before them and give them some real resources that they can use if they do decide to keep that child and so i would say preborn.org is a great organization to support um tawana i don't know if you have other resources or websites for people to um go to outside of the ones you already mentioned um you know, I, I, I'll, you know what I'll do? I'll, um, I have a few and, but I have to look them up. So let me um, email them to me. me. Yeah. yeah or text them to me and we'll put them in the description below the, yeah, the, below the that'll app. be good. Okay, great. And, yeah. uh, Cheryl or Devin or even Michelle, do you guys have any resources? Because look, it's one thing, to talk, <laughs> it's one thing to talk to talk, but I know there's one thing I'm very big on. It's, it's let's do something about what we're talking about. And I think all of us can play a small role in the things that we all have said we would like to see improvements on. Um, we, should be, we should put our, our actions where our mouth is, right? It's like Gandhi said, be the change that you want to see in the world. So if we mm -hmm. want to see some of these changes happen, all of us on this, on this episode have to be willing to um, also then go that next step and, and do something. I, I have a resource. Go I have ahead. a resource. It's the Bible. Okay. Uh, and and uh, I just, yeah, just, I stand on it. Um, and also I just want you guys to know that I did get very um, passionate. I love you guys. So I know we could agree to disagree. That's fine. I just want you to know that I still love you guys. Okay. Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Cheryl. <laughs> I love you and, you know, too. <laughs> I, I think that the great thing about this is that it is such a heated discussion and for so many and without, I mean, they wouldn't even be able to get as far as we did be, without getting really angry and upset. So the fact that we've remained civil, surely there's times when we feel passionate and that's okay. But I think that being able to come back and say, we still hear each other. We still respect each other because we, we're not, you know, we can't change anybody's mind. We, I mean, I'm the same in the same position as Michelle. I feel like the word of God is truth and I've studied it. I'm a Bible teacher and that's what's changed my heart, really changed my attitude on sex and relationships and purity and, and all, you know, marriage and everything. But I understand that obviously everybody's not there and doesn't agree. So what do we do? Well, then present the facts based on the development of the unborn, what happens during an abortion procedure to the woman that's going to have the abortion. Um, are there any risks and complications making sure the woman talks to a doctor and gets all the information? So whatever side you're on, I think like uh, Stephanie was saying, we all agree education is the key 
and loving each other through it and trying to have these kind of conversations will enlighten people and hopefully many people, I mean, I'm going to say it, life is life. We all started this way and I just pray that many people will understand that we're not trying to take anybody's rights away, but we're trying to help people understand that that unborn baby has a right to life too because he's a member of the human race if you give him a chance to live. Thank you, Tawana. Uh, Devin, did you have any resources that maybe someone in need of help can reach out to or go to? Honestly, because I go to school, most of my resources are through schools. So I don't really know any off the top of my head currently. Okay. Um, and Tawana, you had mentioned a documentary, I think you said that you were part of, called Listen. Yeah. yeah. I actually. Um, you can you can find it on Facebook and they actually have a trailer of it. But what happened is in the work I do, a woman came to me. She was a director on National Geographic. She's pregnant at the time of doing the documentary. And she came to me and, and knew my story through someone someone had referred her to me. And she had someone, the leader of now, the National Organization for Women, a pro-abortion uh, you know, organization. Um, who had been raped, and she had her for the person on the other side. So she did a documentary on three topics. She did abortion, immigration, and gun control. And I was the side on the abortion. And we came out, and it was like an unfolding of our stories. And at the beginning, we were both very passionate when they asked us about our positions and why. But then as we got into it, we started learning more about each other and both of us were compassionate to our stories. Both of us cared. So a lot of times when people say they're pro-abortion and pro-life and then they argue about it, there's, there's a story behind it. And the listen documentary is really listen. The listen documentary is saying before you judge, before you criticize and before you condemn, make sure that you come alongside whoever it is, whatever story they have, and find out why they believe what they believe and talk to them to you know working things out with compassion and love and sharing the truth so at the end of the documentary i'm sharing how i lost a child wasn't able to go on and have children i speak for them she's on the other side talking about the fact that she was raped as a teenager suffered from severe sexual abuse and leads sexual abuse groups at fau where she's the leader of now and both of us at the end, we didn't change our positions. Both of us are adamantly pro-life and pro-abortion, but we respected each other so much more and we, we left being friends. We left actually hugging each other, respecting each other. And three days before, you would have never thought from her end. From me, I was open all the way at the beginning. I was willing to talk to her, but she was angry. She came right at me with, you're gonna take my rights away. That's all you care about. You don't care about women. You don't care about, you know, she was just attacking me. And I was like, you know, let's just, let's talk about it. So Listen is on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and you just put in Listen Documentary, you can see the trailer. They've, they've shown it um, throughout the country at different locations. And uh, it's not something that people want to air really as much as they should. She was hoping that it would take off because it really is a, a talk that she believes Americans, because they're so divisive right now, you, you know, either you're pro-life, pro-abortion, or you're pro-Trump, or you're anti-Trump, and whatever position you're in, she was trying to say, we need to not judge people, we need to love people. 
wherever mm. they are. Amen. Wherever they well, are. Ho- hopefully we did a good job yeah. on this episode um, oh, I think to each so. other. I mean, I, I feel we, we all, we all did listen and respect each other. Um, so thank you everyone. I want to thank uh, Tawan. I want to thank you, Devin. I want to thank you for your time and, and willingness, both of you for being on our episode. Um, I think both of you were such a wonderful contribution to this episode. And again, we're so grateful and thank you. Yes, so much. Thank you guys. Thank Agreed. you so much. Thank you so much guys. Thank right. you. Thank so you. The, you want me to wrap it up, Steph? You want me to? Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, so you guys can find us, um, on Instagram and I will link, I'll put a link in the description and you can find us on Instagram. If you have any comments or questions that you'd like to join in on this conversation. Thank you, Michelle. What's the name of the link on Instagram? Un.believer underscore in betweener. (laughs) <laughs> it's very long, but that's what it is. Can I just shoot out that I just, there's one after abortion.org. That's a great resource. If you want to go in and look at some studies and some information on physical and, and psychological risks and things like that. And you can verify the statistics that have been posted up there. So after abortion.org. Thank you. Excellent. All right, ladies. Well, we'll let everyone go and thank you so much. All right. Thank you. God bless you. Take care. Thanks again. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.